Spontaneous. Has he come up yet, uh, Dave? Yes, it came up. I'm going to start in a second, too, here. All right. uh, welcome to another episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. Uh, and for tonight's Swapcast, we are joined by uh, the host and creator of MetaMindCast, Sir Robbie Marx. Now then, Robbie. Hey, how's it going? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, we're also joined by um, the host and creator of a YouTube channel, uh, Dave Petrella. Um, now then, Dave. Hey, guys. Yeah, nice to have me, General. Appreciate it. Robbie, nice to talk to you again. Hey, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been looking forward to speaking with you, especially after uh, you, Robbie spoke of you with the highest regards um, back in the last week, mate. So um, <laughs> um, if Robbie recommends somebody, then, you know. <laughs> wow, great, say, guys. Yeah. Say no more. Say no more. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah. That's what we need. Um, when we've got like uh, new content, new material, it just makes it that much more exciting. Um, like I said, when things come by by word of mouth, yeah. somebody of Robbie's caliber, you know. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. totally. And I've been doing this for a long time, a long time too. I'll, I'll, so before we begin, before we get into the meat, do you want to tell um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, please, Dave? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, basically, I started um, my study in, in biology when I was young, probably about 10 years old. And, um, you know, I was reading the, the medical texts when I was really young. And I was sitting there in, in my fifth grade class and the teachers are teaching anatomy. And I said, oh, yeah, what's, you know, what's this structure? What's this structure? And actually, they didn't even know because, you know, they're not teaching at that level. So I just said, I'm going to start doing it myself. And I just, you know, picked up the anatomy textbooks and I really got um, really dug into that really deep. And then uh, I studied biology um, primarily through kind of secondary school, through high school and everything. And um, took, you know, advanced courses. I took college courses when I was in high school and everything. So I've always been really, really focused on the biology aspects. And then um, sometime after college, I said, all right, you know, I've had enough of the Western, kind of how the Western hemisphere teaches it. Let's go over to the Eastern side. And I started to focus actually on the chakra system, which is, you know, the yogic principles or principles of yoga, um, the seven colored chakras that go up the spine. And I, of course, I wondered why they never touched on that when I learned uh, biology in the West. You know, it's very specific to kind of your, your location when you're um, being taught. So, of course, I didn't have enough and I wanted to see what they said. And I always do that. I always go to as many cultures as I can, try to see um, the different perspectives, you know. So I started in with that. And um, that was probably 20, 2011. I started with Eastern traditions. And um, then it kind of expanded to uh, principles of Ayurvedic medicine, principles of Chinese medicine. Um, and it got into a lot of the esoteric realm because you can't go into that stuff without touching on that. So I picked that up along the way too. And then, uh, 2015, let's see, uh, 2015, I actually, uh, started with astrology. I found, uh, my good friend now, Santos Bonacci. He's, uh, got a prolific YouTube channel himself. It's called Mr. Astro Theology. If people want to check that out, he's a wonderful teacher. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Astro Theology. One word. So, um, 
Yeah, he's a wonderful teacher, man. And, uh, he's a really good astrologer. He talks a lot about flat earth, uh, uh, personal sovereignty in terms of, you know, we kind of rule ourselves as humans um, as opposed to governments ruling us. And uh, he's out there very active. He's got, he started his own school online and everything. So um, the Syncretism Society, I think Syncretism Academy. So he's doing really great work. But anyway, um, I was looking for information about the body again about actually the spinal cord fluid because it's supposed to be the conduit for the spirit in the uh, physical body, essentially. It's a very esoteric concept. I looked that up. I found a video by Santos. Uh, I literally fell off my chair. I could not believe what I was seeing and hearing. And the fact that I went through all of this time and I never was presented with this concept. And, you know, if I was presented with this concept when I was 18, I would have saved 15 years of my life mm -hmm. in terms of, like, trying to pull at straws, figuring out, oh, where is the information I'm looking for? So one of the things I'm trying to do is to get it into one place so that people don't have to struggle like I did. Let's get it very, very uh, important to me to get it clear, very clear and concise. Um, I'm always ready for questions. I'm always ready to figure things out if I don't yet understand it. So um, I'm doing a lot of that work and um, I'm making it easier for people because it's not easy to get into this stuff. Uh, the last part, well, there's two more parts. The uh, second to last part here, uh, I, I watched a video. Actually, it was uploaded by Santos Bonacci at the time I had not heard of. And then I saw on the side where it says the uh, recommended playlists and everything, recommended videos. He had a bunch of videos about, about astrology. And I never looked into astrology enough. And something told me, Dave, now is the time to do this. This is something you have to do. I didn't, actually didn't, did not want to do it. I'll be honest with you guys. I did not want to do it. It was something that was given to me as a responsibility. And it's still a really big responsibility to teach it clearly and correctly. This is uh, tropical astrology, which got kicked off in uh, Mesopotamia in ancient Egypt. It's, it's essentially it's astrology of the West. It's called Western astrology or tropical astrology. And then you got the Vedic, Vedic astrology, which is based out of India, which developed essentially separately. And it's uh, they're both valid. People are wondering, both valid systems. Yeah. So yeah, I learned. I'm, I've heard tropical and sidereal as the terms. Mm -hmm. for the, um, and I didn't know that the the sidereal went back to what did you say the Vedas? Oh yeah, sidereal is actually the same as Vedic, Robbie. It's also called okay. Jyotish or Jyotisha. It's mm. all the same for the for the Vedic. It's on the India side. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead, though. Yeah. So I picked up um, picked up the astrology component, and I did it as a science because I'm I'm a scientist, and so I do things. Um, if if I can't uh, repeat it, and if I can't go to scientific method, then you know I uh, I don't hang my hat on it. I always keep it in the back of my head. But for me to be able to promote something and say, yeah, this is this is how it works, guys. I need to be able to repeat it over and over because that's good science. Mm -hmm. And um, it really came through. Uh, with uh, with a golden light for me because I was able to do that actually after a very short period of time, and I said, you know what, I don't really know what uh, I feel about this, but it doesn't matter because it's correct, and if it's correct, I have to go with it. You know, good science does not. It's not my opinion. It's about what, how the system works. I want to understand how the Earth works. Right. So um, it's it's not an easy thing to do to be able to separate what you what you want from how things actually go. So anyway, uh, picked up astrology and it took it before I even really talked about it. I mean, I put in a good, a good two and a half years before I was getting decent at it. Let me put it that way. It takes a long time 
you've got to go to the field, you've got to be comfortable with, with what you're doing. And, um, you know, make sure you're getting positive uh, reinforcement, getting good data back. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of doing it? Mm. Yeah. So, As you... Yeah, go for it, guys. Yeah. No, I could say that I can imagine it's been, uh, it would be uh, challenging. Uh, it would be an understatement to be challenging. Um, right. I mean, I think, I think with the whole uh, astrological understanding, um, a component of visualization is necessary um, just to be able to understand these cycles within cycles and how these different planets interrelate with one another based i mean and that comes down to numeric systems and angles and you know arcs and it's yeah it's it's quite the intensive uh process to understand uh, a lot of how astrology functions yeah that's right robbie i mean it's actually you're right it's all mathematics it's actually um you know i i, I say i'm an astrologer i could also just say i'm a mathematician you know it's the same thing it's actually the same thing. We just need to get a little bit, little bit more mature, and um, you know, get get you know. And I understand it's, it hasn't been taught very well. A lot of people who uh, pick up onto it do it because they see it as a fad or something fun, or they you know they want to be like counterculture. It is not that way at all. It was taught as a science in ancient Egypt and ancient Mesopotamia, mm. and many other parts of the world. So, um, but if you don't give it time, you, you know, you never get to that point. So I feel very um, very honored that I've been given. The responsibility to teach Western astrology correctly—it's a—it's a lot to take on, you know. But I feel very confident, uh, very good about it as it stands now. Um, and the only other thing I want to add to this, guys, uh, and then you know, definitely let's open it up. Is uh, starting in 20, um, well, probably 2015. This—it was actually the same year. Uh, it was a little bit later. I think it was the summer of 2015. I actually started to key into uh, the television show. It's called The Curse of Oak Island. It's a very popular show. Uh, oh, Oak yes. Island, yeah. Yeah, across most of the world, so uh, most people know. I just saw a book from, I think it was 1926, that was about Oak Island. And, um, I mean, John Wayne, I mean, he dumped, like, thousands and thousands of dollars into that place. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a long-standing kind of treasure site, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, John Wayne was on... Uh, anything yet or is it just all you say have they found it general have they actually found anything yet yeah i know that there's maybe some, <laughs> some strange things they found they found a lot of um secondary evidence you know even maybe third level evidence it's, it's it hasn't gotten to well i shouldn't say that quite that you know, it's yeah. it's in its ten it's in its tenth season, so you kind of have to follow it from the beginning to understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, what yeah. I think is interesting about Oak Island is, on one level, a lot of people relate it to the Templars, but if you go back into biblical terms, um, there's a whole um, story in regard to um, one of the angels basically building a pit with multiple layers that supposedly at the bottom of the pit was a triangular, either a pottery stone or a golden like tablet that basically is the measure of the cubit on each side with uh, some sort of sacred cosmic writings on it in relation to the foundations of the universe. So, oh, yeah. So you got the Templar angle is one thing, but there are, older stories i you know i want to go back to enoch um i would i would have to dig but 
yeah, I do remember something along those lines. So if you, if you find that reference, I really want to see that because I have never heard that it was built by an, by an angel. But let me let me just say this: that the complexity of what's going on here. I've said from the very beginning that I do not believe a human is capable of what happened on that island. Mm. So it gets, it gets kind of weird, you know, but being on the island, I spent a lot of time on the island myself. <clears throat> myself. Oh, nice. so you get to feel the energy currents, you know, some people are not into that stuff. Um, mm. It's not for me, it's not being into it or not into it. It's the fact that either I feel it or I don't. And if I feel it, I have to try to figure out where to place that, you know? So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like guardian kind of energy. There's, it's, it's, um, it's actually, uh, you guys were talking about the watchers, um, last night, I think general, and it's, it's maybe something that kind of feels like that a little bit, that there's something that's being guarded. Um, oh, uh, on the episode with Derek. Yeah. With Derek, he was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. yeah I haven't listened to that one yet. I like Derek. He's, he's got some uh, good information. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, um, he is like we were discussing before, Robert. He is elite level, Derek Gilbert. Um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have um, an individual with, with his caliber uh, part of this community. Now, let, me, let me say this too, guys. Um, Robbie had mentioned this uh, porphyry stone or some kind of a golden plate or something. Uh, the reference in the Oak Island story to that is actually the uh, it's called the 90 foot stone. Basically, the money the money pit model is essentially a model of, of Solomon's temple. Um, it has references to the, the degrees of, of um, Scottish Freemasonry. You know, the, I think it's the third degree of, or something, if I'm not mistaken, of Enoch Ar- Royal Arch degree or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, basically, the idea is, is that beneath the, some, the Temple of Solomon were called the Enochian vaults or the Enochian chamber. I'm sure. Right. Was- right. Exactly. And the idea is, is that there were not, well, generally it's talked about as nine platforms and they're like evenly spaced, evenly spaced platforms directly beneath each other. And on the ninth platform in the Temple of Solomon, uh, in, in the vault was actually a stone and it had the, uh, the name of God on it. Essentially, yes. you know, the, the Yad Heh was actually engraved on this, the four letters there. Um, and so there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of references to astrology and cosmology, which I don't really think people have picked up on uh, apart from myself because I have never heard it before. But when you talk about the levels, and me and Robbie did a lot about this, right, Robbie? Talking about the, the spheres and everything. Oh, yeah. When you're talking about the spheres, you're talking about kind of how the dimensions are ordered. You're talking about how the uh, orbits of the planets are ordered. You're also talking about the human body, how the chakra system is ordered. So when I see that, I see these yeah. levels being delineated, you know, it's showing me, okay, then they know the cosmology, you know, which I'm not surprised about because anyone who knows the real knowledge knows the cosmology. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting when you get into the ideas of coming into formation. And yeah, it, it was indeed the uh, the name of God that was inscribed on that on that poffery tablet or that golden tablet. I do recall when you said that it, it, it popped correct. Um, but yeah, it is interesting um, as far as Oak Island and just how they've gone down. And 
Well, and then back to the idea of we're going to talk about standing stones. Um, was it these Cyclopean builders of the ancient times, you know, these descendants of the Anunnaki, the Nephilim, the, the Rephaim, the, the Anakim that, that were remaining on Earth, maybe, that had something to do with building this, uh, this treasure pit, you know, or this, this tiered um, hole? Um, kind of reminds me of the pillars with the uh, the information as well as far as that whole storyline, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely, yep. So um, in any case, I did a lot of work with the the Curse of Oak Island and um, 2017 and 2018. Of course, I've paid very close attention to it since 2015. And um, you know, I had a chance to go on the island, present in the war room, which is where everyone, uh, all the theorists, present their theories to the team. Uh, it, you know, everything was recorded, guys. It was uh, the whole Hollywood outfit was there and everything. They actually never aired my uh, segment, which was, uh, you know, pretty big disappointment. But, uh, yeah, very nice women sitting there. Yeah, I, I did a lot of work, guys, a lot of work. So um, because I see and I feel that there's something <clears throat> there's something uh, seriously important going on here. It's not your typical treasure hunt. You know, you've had. Uh, many, many, many groups of Freemasons involved all the way since the beginning. So what, right. you know, why, why are they so interested in this? The other, the other thing is supposedly the island, this island, which is in Nova Scotia, Canada, actually getting, getting up on a similar latitude to where you're at, Robbie. It's, uh, right. you know, it's pretty far north there. Um, and uh, the thing about it is that it was supposedly the first piece of land that was actually delineated out into a, uh, sale as a lot you know mm -hmm. to sell a lot or a, a parcel of land supposedly it was the first place in canada to do that so that was mm -hmm. chosen as the very it's an island you know this is not even on the mainland right. why would you why would you do that and guess what they did guys they divided it into 32 lots they could have done any number but they chose 32 we all, all right. know it's a freemason number you know so sure. they know something they know something about it yeah um yeah so Okay, Aren't there also some sort of uh, links as far as drawing lines between like Renless Chateau and like all these different Templar kind of sites and, and they all kind of point towards that area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's, I'm glad you brought that up, Robbie, because it, it goes back to, um, they found a lot of stuff relating to the Templars, relating to southern southern France specifically, in terms of one of the artifacts they found. Um, there's ovations to Rosslyn Chapel, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Freemasonry and the Rosicrucians and all this stuff. Somehow, this is the weirdest. The weirdest part about that. And Marty Lagina, he's one of the stars of the show, and he uh, owns a lot of the land on the island. Mm. Uh, he, he always he says often, he's like. How is it that everything seems like it could be true? Like, right. how is it that every theory that comes out, it feels like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it feels yeah, I, like. what, I will just say one thing here, Dave and Robert. Um, René Le Chateau uh, is a particular um, intriguing area. Right. Um, uh, Priory of Zion, uh, Templars. Um, Asmodeus. Oh. I was going to say Asmodeus is right there, you know, the Lord of Oil. I mean, and then you got all the genetic. And then also, um, Dave, are you familiar with the uh, 
Newport Tower. Yeah, actually, I've um, I've actually been there. Have you been there, Robbie? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I will, I go. I'm down that way quite frequently because of family. So you know, I see it in passing regularly. Yeah, there's um, that's another interesting one. Some people think that it comes from a an ancient time, you know, as opposed to not being the um, the Puritans or the colonists or whatever. Right. It's right. a it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I was standing in front of it and I was looking at it. I'm like. Well, you know, I was expecting it to look a little bit more refined. It, it looks a little crude to me. It does uh, look crude, yeah. Yeah. What so, is Newport Tower? I don't know. Is this, um, I, I'm not familiar with it. Is it somewhere where you you are, Robert? Yeah, um, down in Newport, Rhode Island, um, right, Rhode pretty close to the waterfront. Um, it's actually right, kind of close to a church. Um, is an old tower um, that was basically it's an eight sided tower. And they believe it was either built by the Vikings or the Templars. Um, a lot of people tie it to some of Francis Bacon's drawings. Um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's an interesting site. Yeah, they were saying, um, I think they're, they were trying to, they, they noticed it was aligning to the cycles of Venus potentially, which is, of course, would be Templar related. Mm, right, right. It's, and it's up on the hill, you know. You can see the the waterfront. It's a it's a really really steep hill, right, Robbie? To get from the waterfront up there. Yeah, I mean it slopes pretty good, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it's right in a super touristy kind of area, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, what, mm. what is this? Since you mentioned this, Robbie, what's what's this Lord of Oil? What's that? What's that about? Oh, so Asmodeus. Um, his title is the Lord of Oil. And if you go through different histories, um, like in the Vedic philosophies, um, they always would dump like oil over the, the patar stones. Um, and then you look at like Roman culture and they would actually they would uh, cast um, statues hollow um, to be filled with oil. Um, so it, it's always um, almost looked at as like um, like the oil is related to like the spirit um so it's it's been seen as a mechanism um that you could possibly bring an entity into to occupy so some of these ancient like god statues um they would basically you know bring that entity into the, and and it could occupy it because of the oil essentially um but asmodeus is the lord of the oil and he is at um Roslyn Chapel, um, like right when you go in, um, he's standing there. And I, what's the sign say? Um, this place is terrible, or something like that. When you walk in, where he's at, it's something along those lines, isn't it, Robert? It's it's, it's yeah. almost it's like guarding. Um, right. it's, it's, is it Mary Magdalene's Chapel? Uh, I could be, yeah, could be it's Roslyn Chapel. Well, but and then the other thing, if if you take that back to King Solomon, um, there's some relation to Asmodeus and King Solomon, and I think uh, I, I can't remember if it was the one, uh, if he was the character that tricked Solomon um, into getting his ring. Um, but there is, yeah, Asmodeus goes, and it's you know, so he's in um, you know multiple um, non-canonical. I think even. Like a couple places in the Bible that is made reference to him, um, but yeah, he's he's definitely. Um, I, I guess he's the king of the demons, you know. Yeah, I think he's one of the the, the big guns, into so to speak. Um, right, right. 
But um, yeah, it's, it's it's bizarre into how you you think of something uh, with such like a religious significance as like chapels, yeah. and then you've got um, one of these um, like sort of elite level, um, highly evolved chaotic entities. Um, such as, as more, um, right, and you know these are basically these entities that have been here since the construct, as far as the, form, the formation of what reality is. You know, so yeah. they they're kind of you know um, maybe like along the lines of like archonic forces on some level, um, but but maybe even related into like the the jinn or the jinn. Um, but yeah, some, some ancient archonic force that's basically, um, spiteful against mankind and, and wishes yeah. to seek to somehow, um, disable us. You know? Yeah. Uh, good shout out, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, just so significant. And I, I don't believe that, um, the coincidences whatsoever, but the links, um, like saying, uh, Templars, um, all the secret societies, it's uh, it's just text it that up that level of fascination. Right. And it's just interesting also how the Templars and this uh, this philosophy, you know, and, and yeah, when you tie the, the Baphomet, you know, through the Atbash cipher and relate that back to either, you know, Muhammad or Sophia, um it's yeah it's it's it all gets rather um you know it becomes just this this giant web you know of interconnections yeah um and no matter which way you look at it robert um there'll always be um connections linked up whichever way you look at it right yeah and you know too guys i want to add that um this oil topic is a really big uh, topic for me that's why i asked you about that robbie because by the way and i don't know if people noticed this before it's not i'm sure it's not common information but if you look at the word lord yeah well that's pretty similar to the word lard isn't it very much and that's actually and that's in my opinion the reason why the the word came into um yeah because it's based on the word lard and And i've even heard it pronounced as lard Oh, is that right? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, Lord. Um, yeah, but the thing about it, too, is that we, we know that there was a lot of um, burnt offering sacrifices in the Old Testament. So, you know, let's offer this to the Lord. And it was it was generally predominantly the fat of the animal that was given to the Lord, and it was a pleasing sense. It's like, what, what is this stuff, you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And pe- yeah. And people, people, and I'm not trying to, I'm not putting anyone down at all, but I'm just saying, there's religions formed around this as like the core of your spiritual being, being, and you're saying, yeah, that's my that's my tradition, and and we still don't even know what on it, what the hell is going on with that, you know? Right. It, it's a strange thing, very strange. And the masons, um, even when they dedicate a building, when they lay the cornerstone, they pour the oil and the wine and the corn, you know. Um, so you know the the ties to this right. oil or this lord or lard. Um, you know, it, it very much um, ties, I think. And you know what it is really for me, too, is um, it's really the core of alchemy. And 
it's actually I'll just be quite honest. Like, you know, I don't I don't do the hidden game stuff. I just say what it is. Right. And uh, the basis the basis is in medicine. It's in Ayurvedic medicine. If um, and I'll tell you what it's called, guys, if anyone wants to read it. The uh, the oldest medical intact medical text in the world is called the Sushruta Samhita. It's okay. S-U-S-H-R-U-T-A space S-A-M-H-I-T-A. It's available online as a, a free PDF too. Um, but the the core of Ayurvedic medicine is oil. That's right. the whole that's the whole thing about this. So when you go to the West, and I teach concepts of pre-Ayurvedic medicine, so I, I I spend a lot of time with this. I fast all the time, fast every day. Um, and so, and that's why I'm able to think very clearly and at high levels because I have clear information coming into me because the body's not been polluted by food all the time. So my belief is, is that when the teachings of oil got to the West, and when I say West, I mean, you know, like the Holy Land and kind of over that way. Um, I, believe, I believe ancient India was possibly the first culture on this planet. Um, I mean, they go back millions of years. Their cycles are millions of years long. You know, the Yuga cycle. Sorry, mate. Sure. Right. So we say Hindu then, mate. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's um, it's uh, it's kind of pre. Well, it's pre-Hindu. We have the Scythian ties. Ah. Oh, is that right too? Okay. Yeah, that when the Scythians came down, um, you can trace the the map. And they essentially di- distributed themselves into India and Mesopotamia. So you had this huge link between India and Mesopotamia very early on, as far as, you know, back into the mists of prehistory, you know. Um, but that's just one move. I mean, I-, I think that through the course of time, you know, people have been moving and migrating um, long before we've even been able to, able to keep track of these cycles, you know. I mean, so, yeah, what exactly, you know, um, it, it, yeah, it's interesting to think how far back these things actually go, you know. So, Robbie, is this, um, are the Scythians related to the Aryans at all? Yes. Um, yeah, it goes back into the Aryans. But you got to realize back when the Aryans were inhabiting the planet, it, it, it encapsulated all of the races on the planet. You know, so it was it's not this idea of the blonde haired, blue eyed thing. It was just that that was the turning of that age and the people of that age were the Aryan, which became um, cognate with uh, modern Iran, you know. Right. Right. The Aryan, the country of the Aryans. Yeah, that's right, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing, too, is, uh, um, well, for me, you know, being an astrologer, I look at the word and I say, well, that's Aries. So, yeah. and yeah. There, I'll tell you how, I'll tell you, in my opinion, how I know that also, not just because of the word, but because they always had the eternal flame burning, you know, everywhere they went. Well, yes. guess, guess what, guys? Aries is a fire sign. Yep. So no kidding. No kidding. And um, even and, now, well, even now we see the eternal flames, you know, at like Kennedy's grave and the unknown soldier. And um, so, you know, it harkens back to those times of the eternal flame. You know, and the Olympics, of course, you're totally oh, right, man. Sure, sure. How you don't let the fire go out with the runners and you have to bring it. And then the seven Vestal Virgins that would light the flame. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And actually, you know, for me, when you talk about the seven, um, I've also heard a pen. I don't know if it's the same story, but basically the chakra system 
Those are the virgins. And when you talk about the oil, guess what that's talking about? Your body. Yeah. Oh, you already know, Robbie. So this is good. We're we're making progress, guys. This is where humanity needs to go. This man doesn't know, mate. (laughs) Health of knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, in any case, you know, if people want to know where to find the, the origin of this oil concept, please just go to the Sushruta Samhita text from ancient India. It's thousands of years old, and it teaches you about how to circulate the fluids of your body, how to lubricate the organs and your capillaries with the proper oil, uh, how to specifically, how to lubricate the pineal gland with the proper oil. That's the whole, Mm. that's the whole point of this whole illumination idea. You have to get, have to get your fluids refined. You have to get the proper oils in place. And that needs to be able to essentially bathe the third eye, also called the pineal gland. Then you will have that, that, that's not this is not your um, it's not like your um, your hobby or your fad kind of ideas. This is this is the actual science behind the illumination. You need to work with oil. You have to work internally with oil, not not it's not pouring it on the outside of your body or pouring it on stones. I mean, I have no problem with that. But when you're talking about pouring the oil. The oil gets poured from your uh, cerebrum. Actually, this is, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you guys a really quick story. It's a really good one. This is the story of Santa Claus, and uh, it's almost Christmas time, so it's really appropriate. Usually when it comes up, it's not anywhere near Christmas, and I tell it anyway, but in any case. So Santa Claus, you know, Santa is holy. That means holy. Claus is talking about the claustrum, or the claustrum of the brain. Mm-hmm. Now, the claustrum of the brain is where the brain fluid is actually created. So it's saying the holy claustrum, this holy material that this gray matter that produces the oil for the body. And then guess what happens with that oil? It comes down the neck, which and is also days. called. Yeah, right. It's, and it's also called the chimney. The neck is the chimney. Look at it. You know, let's see what it looks like. It's the same structure. So mm-hmm. Santa Claus comes down the chimney with all the gifts for the body. The gifts are the oil for the body. That's the whole point behind Santa Claus, guys. That's the one. Mm. I like that analogy. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've also heard that uh, Isis and Osiris um, are very much uh, a similar analogy in the birth of Horus being that that once you activate and bathe, um, you know, the, the pineal gland in the, in the DMT, that the the risen Horus is, you know, or the hawk that flies, you know, oh, so high man. that it can't, can't be seen from the earthly realm, you know. Okay, so I got some. See, Robbie, we, we were made to talk, man. I'm so glad we finally. This is un- unbelievable. Um, the anatomy, and you can do a, if we could share photos, I would. But if you do a Google search, type in. Um, I mean, I bet you if you typed in uh, Horus brainstem, watch what comes up. Hundred percent, man. Right, you can see you see the falcon in your brainstem in a oh. lateral view. That's the whole. That's why it's saying, oh, you know, Horus and all the falcon, because the falcon's actually in your brain. It looks the anatomy looks identical to the falcon yeah. in the brainstem. And when you cut the pineal gland area in half in the brain, um, you also see the eye of Horus there. Well, exactly, and you're right. You're right, Robbie. The center of the brain which um is uh centered on the thalamus and the whole the whole structure see i used this is interesting i used to think that the pineal gland itself 
was the eye in the center of the brain and it technically kind of is that's where it yeah that's where it all kind of comes in you know the the signals and everything but the structure of the of the eye of horus um which you guys are familiar with from ancient egypt i'm sure and people i'm sure everyone's seen it you know very common symbol um it's actually the pineal gland plus the pituitary gland plus the thalamus which is actually the center of the of that eye in that depiction plus the corpus callosum which is the eyebrow above that and then mm-hmm. that little um, squirt, uh, squirt, squirt, well, like the uh, the vortex symbol with the um, concentric kind of rings that comes off the end of that symbol is yeah. actually it's actually the convolutions of the cerebellum. Mm-hmm. So that's again totally correct. It's totally correct. That's actually your brain as well. It's all it's all everything comes down to the human body, really. Right. And if I if I had one thing to teach, I would not teach astrology. I would actually teach the correct human physiology and the correct anatomy and how to actually have correct medicine is what I would mm-hmm. teach. The temple of man. That's right. That's right. Yep. yep. And, and if, you know, I mean, your temple, your temples, you know, the side of your head, that's the reason it's called the temple. You know, it's like, it's cause that is your temple. And you, you know, right. you're talking about guys, right. That's well, here. Those are between the two pillars, you know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how much, um, when you look into Egyptian symbology, um, you know, like the uh, the crozier and the uh, the two little tools there that the pharaoh holds, um, and you you follow those, and that shows how the eyes basically link in with the brain, um, and it just multiple factors in regard to um, looking at the sculpture and comparing that to physical anatomy. You know, that's right. And what better way to make sure people don't forget than by putting it in your statuary and everything and engraving right. it in stone, you know, so you never forget it. Mm. Um, but in any case, the, the anatomy portion is, um, uh, it's just beyond important. I actually, it's amazing the timing. I don't know about for you guys, but the past like three days, I have had probably the most downloads of my entire life. I don't mm. know what is, I mean, I do know what's going on. It's in the sky. <laughs> very close to the solstice you know that's coming up very soon here and on the 28th is um part three of, of pluto return for the united states which uh i remind people if they don't know this that part one of pluto return for the united states was when the war uh with ukraine and russia actually started and uh it was within like a day a day and a half it was actually within that day uh mm-hmm. that period of time. so we're, we're getting ready for some extremely explosive things that are on the horizon here and um you know, we're, we're ready to move forward. You know, I'm so thankful to have platforms to talk on and, and knowledgeable people. There's not, I mean, to be able to do it at this level, um, I actually think Robbie's the first person. I've, apart from Santos Bonacci, you know, Robbie's probably the first person I, I can do this with. So probably number two, Robbie. So it's, it's just amazing. Well, hey, hey, you know, it's just the love of the, the information and the the love of of you know what the cosmos and reality is man i mean i think it's the most beautiful like overall like um just you know uh, it's it's it is everything that we are within what we are and how we are you know it's it's like the the what's it called the uh the magne- uh, the mystery of all mysteries you know as the alchemists <laughs> call it mysterium yeah magnum mysterium that's the word i was looking for exactly exactly yeah mm-hmm. yeah actually um a couple of people involved with the oak island search 
uh, Gretchen Cornwall and John Edwards actually are writing a book called, it has the word Magnum Mysterium in it. It's something about Oak Island, the, the or Magnum Mysterium, the search for the Oak Island treasure or something like that. They're actually working on that book right now. <laughs> that, I just saw that word like yesterday, Robbie. Yep, yep. It's weird how synchronicities flow, man, you know? Yeah, it, it is, mate, it is. Everything yep. happens for a reason, Robert, I guess. What's that? Everything happens for a reason. Yep. It's meant to happen. Yeah. It, seems, it seems to be. Um, you know, I mean, I try to generally just surrender to the flow and believe that the necessary things that need to be will be. Um, and it's just, it's, it continually surprises me, you know, I've been, I've been kind of living that way for, you know, um, since I was in my, my late teens. So, and that I, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting too, because I think I told you this Robbie, but see, um, and I'm in the Pacific Northwest right now, so I'm I'm way over on Pacific time. I'm actually really I'm really far from both of you guys actually. Yeah, yeah. Here the signal is, but um. Anyway, I was actually born in Connecticut, so me and Robbie actually have a lot more in common in terms of you're you're from New England too, right, Robbie? I was actually born in um, Jacksonville, Arkansas, on the Little Rock oh, Air Force okay. Base, and I've lived, but I've lived, I mean, you know, north, south, east, west. Um, by the time I moved to New England, um, I'd been to, uh, I think I had 23 different residences and then I got up here and we built a house and this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. So. Wow. Okay. Well, you yeah. got that, um, that, that lost crystals of Atlantis story going on there in Arkansas. Oh yeah. And, um, it's very interesting, man. I spent a lot of time driving around Northwest Arkansas and I personally didn't really feel what people claim is there. Um, I, but you know, maybe I'm just not in that frequency and I think we're all in different frequencies and I, I'm thankful for that. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a story even, a, a, I'm sure you've heard this Robbie, cause you know, we've pretty much heard almost everything each other says anyway, but the, um, well, if not, it'll be a good thing. So. Oh, absolutely, man. Okay, so so the story about this one is there's a, there was a group of people called the Washita Moors, mm -hmm. um, and their homeland was essentially north uh, northern Louisiana into Arkansas. I think all the way up through maybe uh, western Arkansas there, and um, they claim it was a it was a dark skinned race of people, mm -hmm. and they claim that they were here at the very beginning in terms of being on the American continent. Right. So um, I think that I think the idea is, is that they had a similar skin tone to probably people from Africa, uh, mainland Africa, you know, opposed mm -hmm. to northern Africa, really dark skin. And so when uh, when the slavery thing happened in the United States and people were calling it that, you know, I guess they thought that they were just part of of the of the slavery component. And they said, no, guys, we've been here. We yeah. were we were here before essentially the Native Americans and people we're are like scratching their head. Yeah, they're scratching their heads with like this idea. Well, well, guess what? This is one of the things I was going to bring up to um, in terms of talking about the standing stones. And I'd love to get into that in a couple of minutes. But um, I look a lot at the um, the concept and the actual visualization of, of how Pangea looked or mm. Pangea. Right. And if you look at where things were connected, it's not that weird anymore because America was connected to like the Morocco area. Yeah. Of Africa. Right. And. The, this is some of the strangest stuff of all right here. The um, 
Uh, I believe they're called the Beothuk people. They're essentially an Arctic people that live in Newfoundland. Um, I came across this idea when I was researching for Oak Island, which, of course, Nova Scotia is just to the southwest of Newfoundland. And um, if you look, again, you can do a Google search. If you look at their headdresses, they look like they're from North Africa. These are the native people of Newfoundland. And they've yeah. got these North African-style headdresses. And even the features look like they're from the east. Yeah. So... And it's not just them. I mean, the Mi'kmaq have the, the Templar battle flag in reverse, you know, as the Mi'kmaq mm -hmm. people of Nova Scotia and Maine, New Brunswick. It's right. like, come on, guys. I mean, we have the evidence we need. So what I'm thankful for is that, you know, and I, I've come up against this, obviously, with television. You know, I did really good work and they didn't show my work on TV. You know, I was not very happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, but what I decided to do is I'm like, all right, if you guys aren't going to show it, then I'll just do it myself. And uh, after a couple of years, you know, we've built up a, a very strong networks of people and we have our own podcasts and everything. It's like, all right. So when the populace loses interest in, you know, like network television and stuff, which is happening more and more every day because the kids don't really care. They're Dramatic on Instagram. Oh. Yeah. Right. So they're going to lose their influence. And then when the kids are browsing online, they'll be like, oh, what is this cool show with uh, General... Uh, Lee and Robbie and Dave and stuff. Let's check this out. You know, when they're just hanging out in their house or something. So um, we're, I think we're poised to be, you know, the new leadership of the planet. That's what I feel very strongly is that everyone who's losing touch. Well, guys, you know, you had your time. Now it's our time and we're going to do things correctly and we're going to get good information out to people. Yeah. What I find interesting with the whole matter is, you know, when you pay attention to the mainstream media, um, they are perpetuating a, a thought meme. Um, they're basically trying to guide the masses um, to to an end goal, um, you know, on, on political, who knows if it's political, spiritual, who knows where it's at. There's so many acting forces. But the thing is, um, going back and reading all these ancient books, man, and, and seeing how things have been for hundreds of thousands of years within, you know, at least our recorded time span, um, there's a completely different story that's being told. And, you know, so when you compare and contrast, you know, the modern memes versus what people have been thinking, um, just really up until the early 1900s, um, you know, um, there's a way bigger story going on here, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's all, in my opinion, it's all controlled media. And uh, I'm really disgusted by it. I've had enough. It's very obvious to me. And I'm really thankful for all the podcasters out there who are exposing it because it's it's ridiculous. You know, it's enough is enough. I'm not we're not doing this shit anymore. Excuse my language. <laughs> but uh, it's not uh, it's not going to be it's not going to be OK. You know, I'm putting my foot down. A lot of people are doing the same. Yeah, yeah, it's um, the. The, the amount of podcasts now is um, extraordinary, um, and, I, and I love it. I think um, it's, if anybody's got an idea of starting their own podcast, I'll, I'll go for it. Right. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. It's the best thing I ever did anyway. Um, I love it. Just the quality conversations we have, I mean. Right. The episodes we've done, Robert. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> we've done some killer I, I don't know. You know, I find when I go and listen to a lot of podcasts that, um, you know, it'll be on a certain topic. 
but as you walk through it, um, you generally hear a lot of platitudes and people talking about their own lives. And, and it's like, you know, I, I come for the information. I want the information. And yeah. so, you know, I always try to bring as much information as possible to the topic. You know, um, it's, it's my, what I am and who I am, I think, is secondary, you know. Yeah, I agree, I think- man. It's about, about the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, Robert, you don't come much better than you, mate. <laughs> you are um, incredible. Thanks, man. I, it's just, it's just the love of the subject, man. Um, you know, and and really just kind of um, dancing around in it, and kind of uh, you know taking some things. Um, you know, it's it's that idea of taking everything in as true while simultaneously not believing any of it and and then and but that comes down but that comes down to gnosis whereas you you take these applied stories and then you have the ability for higher levels of discernment you have the abilities to be able to check and cross check um and and you learn through gnosis where you actually come to a point of understanding within yourself and and then you know that as a truism and how that um, echoes and plays off of the information that you take in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, just the, the old, uh, the outlook of, um, of everything, mate. It's like, like you've got, um, a certain, um, your approach is, it's different, um, and it's unique. That's why I love, um, I love any conversation we have, brother. Mm. Yeah. But yeah so, so let's uh, let's get into the whole standing stones. Oh yes, yes. Dave, yeah, ready to go? Ready to go? Oh, you want me to open it up? I can yeah, do it. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, the thing is, is that it's you know, like Robbie is very much similar to myself here, and I'm sure generally as well. But it's a lifelong search for knowledge, and so. Um, I, as a kid, you know, I was interested in everything, literally every topic, everything that's under the sun. I read every book I could get my hands on, you know, because I wanted to understand. And then I, you know, very early on when people were not giving me adequate answers, I said, all right, I'm just going to go my own way. And I'll, if I, if, if it's possible to figure it out, I'm going to commit my life to getting to that point. So you see things, uh, I think some of the earliest books, you know, of course, for me, it was all about Stonehenge in uh, mm-hmm. Salisbury Plain there in UK. And, yeah. um, you know, it was everywhere. It still is. It's kind of like, you know, the hallmark ancient site of, of UK. I think you guys would probably agree. Um, so we've got that one, but we've also got Standing Stones, of course, all the mm-hmm. way through UK and Scotland. And guess what else? And this is when it gets really interesting for me personally. Um, you know, I've been able to track it. Well, Ireland too, of course. So, those three areas, plus it actually continues down the coast right. of the Atlantic Ocean. I know, I mean, at minimum, Karnak stones are a huge example of that. It's like the largest um, stone structures since standing stone complex, I think, in the world, essentially. And a is, is it the Karnak stone that is the one that's kind of fallen over and broken into three pieces? I think that's the Great Men here, which is, oh, man, where is that? Yeah, somewhere it's, it might be in the same region, Robbie. It might be in the same region of France right, up there, but that's right. called the the Great Men here. It's like 
impossibly large, even in yes. terms of it being able to stand with its own weight and not collapse or, or break the ground, you know, stuff like that. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's associated with Karnak. I could be wrong, but it is called the Great Men here if people want to look that up. And um, so anyway, you go down the coast of France there, and then you get some weird... Well, actually, before you get there, because I'm kind of tracing the coast a little bit here in my mind, before you get there, you actually get to the, um, the Basque settlement, which is a really strange story in itself. I'm sure General Lee knows some about this. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an isolated culture. No one knows where their language came from. They've got all their own interesting things. They've got like the highest concentration, I think, of Rh negative blood in the world. Brings in that pop. No one knows where it came from. Pardon? What was that, mate? Well, no one knows where they came from. You know, they don't know oh, the yeah. origin. They don't know their the, the origin of their language. They don't know why their blood type is so rare. You know, it's all this weird stuff going on with that. And doesn't that somehow link into the Portuguese people as well? As oh, far yeah. as of the Azor Islands, and and they yeah. have unique characteristics that they don't know where that came from as well either. Yeah, actually, that's called um, that's called the um. Oh, no, that's Sardinia I'm thinking about. Sardinia's got some really weird stuff, too, with that. But, no, there's actually, uh, there's actually like, a lot of stone walls and tower structures on the Azores as well, yeah. Uh, right. Maybe some small platform pyramids and stuff like that. And uh, for me, it's actually part of a much larger uh, Stone Age culture, I think I would call it. And yeah. I, I always, when I try to visualize it, I see two things. I see primarily, I see giants. That's number one. Yep. And number two are, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, small statured people, uh, you know, like two feet, three feet tall. I think they I'm, kind of somehow write that style. Yes, I, yeah. I think I think they somehow kind of cohabitated in a lot of the same areas. I just really feel that strongly. Yeah. Um, there's lots of lore about that you know, all through the part of Europe and everything. But what I wanted to say, too, is that um, and we can go back to the Azores if you guys want, because actually the topic of Atlantis is is about to come up. <laughs> So uh, what's going on with this, too? Now, as you continue down, you get the Basque settlement, which is between northern, uh, not, okay, northern France. Now, wait a minute. It's between France and Spain. It's between northern Sp northeastern Spain and southwestern France. I think I'm correct about that. Um, so it's this little tiny little area. And by the way, it's interesting because that area, when you look at it in terms of how it's placed in terms of the ocean, to me, it looks like it's about the most sheltered area that you're going to get along that coast because it's the furthest from, you know, the waves and stuff. It, like, comes to a point, kind of. It was a Bay of Biscay, I think, um, generally. Is that right? Right now? Bay of, yeah. Um, possibly. Okay. So, anyway, you got the Basque settlement at that juncture of, of modern-day Spain and France. You, then you continue down to the west. You get the Karnak Stones. And then you come around the corner and you've got um, you've got all kinds of standing stones through Portugal. You know, um, maybe they're not quite as large, but they're definitely there. And, and this is the most amazing part of this of, of all to me. It actually continues all the way down to Western Africa. Now, the stories, some of the stories I've heard of the stones in Stonehenge are that they actually came from Africa. Now, originally, what I've heard is that originally they came from Africa. Then they were brought to Ireland, and then Merlin brought them through essentially magic. You know, he levitated them onto Salisbury Plain in the UK because he was asked to do that, I think, by the king or something. 
So, um, you know, there's a possibility that some of this um, standing stone culture may have actually started in Africa. Right. And um, it goes down to, I want to say about maybe about Ghana, somewhere around there. And I think that's kind of the last one. But it goes down not a little bit. It goes down a lot, actually. Um, and we, we had already, we are, I already mentioned the, um, the Washita Moors and this, this yep. comes into play here too, because for me it's, and they don't spell it the way that they don't spell it M O O R S. They spell it like M U U R S the Moors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that looks a lot like Mu or Lemuria to me. Yeah, and, yeah. and not, you know, I think the Moors who came in the Middle East, I think they came from Lemuria and or mm-hmm. Mu, actually. That's why they got their name Moor. Right. But what now, I think, what I, what I, oh, God, Robbie, I'm sorry. Are you familiar with the Book of Invasions, Dave? I don't, uh, maybe, but go ahead and tell me about it. No, so there's, uh, it's an, it's around 600 um, AD that this text actually was pulled together from multiple parts of Ireland. Um, but basically it goes into detailing how the, after the fall of Babel, that this character Phineas Fairside um, basically went and set up a school and taught the, the miscellaneous, you know, division of the tongues to the different people and then how they brought them into England and into Ireland. And um, even in, there's a mention of, you know, Kali, in there as well um but but when you follow that line as far as from um babylon and the building of the tower and the walls and this um and then you take those people and you distribute them you know throughout the region um we can see at least you know within the irish um histories that they believe that they came from and were these ancient stone building cultures that came in and settled these lands, um, basically, you know, wiping out the Fomorians or the ancient Atlanteans, you know, and and bringing this Middle Eastern um, dolmen, you know, stone building culture um, throughout, you know, Europe, basically. What what does that word mean, Robbie? Fomorian. What's that about? Um, the Fomorians. Um, yeah, we just did a whole show on the Fomorians. Um, it's basically the leftover um like peoples after the flood that were from um, most likely like atlantis and then as time went on they almost like degressed they de-evolved into you know almost animal like um um, beastly kind of creatures um that uh, you know eventually went there's even some mention um on the coast of ireland around 1100 that there were still some of these remaining giants that were attacking some of the monks there and they had to set up, uh, you know, walls to basically keep them out, you know, um, beyond, so, fascination, mate. beyond fascination. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So, Will. so these Fomorians would be the Atlanteans basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something else that's very interesting. Um, you know, and this is the, this is what happens when you have interest in every topic under the sun is that and, right. and you're, you, know, you can put stuff in, you're an intelligent person. You can send, synthesis is important be able to put it in the proper place in your mind you know i think so when you can do that you start to get these things coming in well one of the instances of this for me it's a, it's along what we're talking about the same storyline here that when i was i mean still i mean to be really honest i love i absolutely love irish music mm. uh, i'm talking about the um bagpipes i'm talking about the um a little handheld the, drum right the Bodron, I believe, which is the drum. You've got the Ilian pipes, which is uh, play on the lap there. 
It's all right. these like very, very specific types of instruments, very, very connected to nature, you know, made with reeds and stuff like that and bladders and you're using the natural elements and everything is beautiful. But anyway, um, for me, and I know it's, uh, you know, highly publicized, I really, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. But uh, river dance, you guys know about river dance. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so river dance. I I was absolutely in love with this production when I was a kid. I mean, I was like, you know, eight years old. I went to see it the first time. I went back yes. and a couple of years later. I think I've seen it three times. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to get at is that the style of music, what I feel when I listen to that is very supernatural for me, probably more than I would say any other music form on the planet. And uh, the dance style is so specific. Again, you don't really see that anywhere else that I've seen except for i would say three places that i can think of right now which is you've got you know i'm talking about irish step dance obviously and the derivatives is ireland okay so let's let's think about this so ireland which is immediately on the atlantic ocean right there okay the next one is the basque dance if you guys haven't seen that it's very similar in a lot of ways they they keep the hands down actually no they don't i think they put the hands up sometimes as well now Go ahead. I finish that, and then I have a point to add. Okay, no problem. So anyway, um, there's some videos on YouTube. If you guys look up Basque Dance, you can see them dancing on the bluffs, you know, right overlooking the ocean. And I'm just like, wow, I feel like this longing, like I missed this, like this mm. was part of, you know, what happened to that? Um, so that was the second part that came for me. And then the third part, and I studied Spanish for many years. I was actually going to major in it for a while in college. But the Spanish aspect of this is the flamenco dance, where again, you're using the hands and the feet in a very stylized way that's very unique. And all of this stuff is clustered, it's like clustered to the west on the Atlantic side of Europe right there. So what is going on with it? It's almost like, it's almost like it came from the ocean. Hmm. So now, um, as far as the Irish people, when you look at the step dancing, um, if you go back into the Irish histories, the reason that they actually keep their hands down and don't use their hands a lot um, is because during the British repression, um, it was against a lot of dance. So basically, they only used their feet and they would, you know, and you couldn't see them dancing behind the fence if they all kept their hands down. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But um, as far as when you're talking about all these cultures line up on the Western coast um, and, and then you begin to tie in um, Queen Scota and the redheaded pharaohs of Egypt and you start looking at the Western lands themselves, um, there are actually Egyptian pharaohs that are buried over into Ireland and England. Um, and, and that was seen because when these... Um, when these peoples came, these Hyperboreans came down after the flood and, and, you know, we get into that with some of the Fumerian stories. Um, but they, they essentially, um, settled the Western coast there. And then there's a belief that some of these lines moved into Egypt and actually became the, the redheaded pharaohs and the Western lands were a reference to the Western coast where the Fumerians had settled. Right, so they came in, actually came into Egypt from Ireland, UK area, right? One of there's them. A, yeah. There, there's a lot of, um, there's a study, a couple studies I think have been done in terms of the genetics of people from UK that's like very similar, to, I think, to some of the pharaohs when they did DNA analysis on them, right. something like this. Yeah. It's really interesting, man, in terms, you know, in, for when I look at 
<laughs> when I look at human history and, and human movement across the planet, uh, I just essentially I, I said eventually that I'm just going to do the best I can because, you know, humans move across the planet readily and rapidly. And there's cultures, right, and there's cultures that mix, and then you get ideas mixing. It's really hard to know the chronology. So I just, I like to do it by feel, kind of. It's like, what, where do these people, what is their, like, energetic signature? Where do I feel like that originated? And then I just kind of keep that on the back burner for me. Um, but I do want to say this, because the, I, I'm going to develop the story a little bit more, if you guys don't mind. Okay, so uh, we've got the coast. I kind of set up the coast there. We've got all the standing stones on the coast. We've got the specific style of dance. This is very beautiful in music. And um, it, it always felt Atlantean to me. And I can't explain why. Mm -hmm. not, not as much the standing stones, but definitely the Basque culture and the, the Irish step dance and even the flamenco dance and all this stuff. Right. But I just felt, and I'm looking, I'm like, well, maybe it's pushed against the West Coast because it actually came from the East, which would be now is essentially ocean. But um, as Robbie had mentioned, you know, if you go a little further West, you've got the Azores, which uh, has, again, a lot of really strange stone structures. I believe that fully that was part of the, the giant culture, probably, the, you know, the Nephilim or, or the Raphaim culture or maybe both. And it also was very prominent in the Mediterranean. You've got the island of Sardinia. And then actually just last night, of course, um, generally was talking with Derek about uh, Mount Hermon, which is, uh, I, I tend to agree. I think that's probably where the fallen angels initially came down. And then they kind of, uh, what's that? Mount Hermon. Yeah, Mount Hermon, right. Mount Hermon yep. um, in Lebanon, I believe, right? Yep. And there's actually a, a UN base on Mount Hermon now um, that they call the Hermon Hotel. Ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting that word. Um, you know, Mon is essentially moon to me, and then her is, uh, you know, it's a female. So it's talking about some kind of a female uh, energy. I found that very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Female again, again, yeah. <laughs> so, um, in any case, uh, I just want to continue this train of thought because I spend a lot of time with this topic because I love, I love the story of Atlantis. You know, a lot of people do. It's a very popular yeah. one. Uh, I've always believed it was real. And so the conclusion, I, this is a, a dual conclusion I've come to. And I've kind of, I'm not going to say I put it to rest, but I don't, I don't really pursue the topic anymore because I feel really good, really good about my conclusion. And I, I'm happy, always happy to entertain other people's ideas. Oh, yeah. this, is what I, this is what I think ha actually happened with this. And again, you have to know stuff about the Americas. You have to know stuff about Africa and about Europe and about South America and all this stuff. Oh, by the way, um generally you know uh you know that island that used to be called high brazil right do you know something mate right i was gonna bring that up oh, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you know i'm surprised we didn't bring it up uh, when we was doing the uh, book of invasions robert um, we mm. might have to revisit because it, it is um yeah i'm actually unfamiliar with this topic yeah um we need to go, mate. <laughs> we try and find a way. Okay, well, uh, the, the few things I know about it. First of all, it was supposed to be a disappearing island. Um, there would be people going out, and they would see it. Then it would not be there. It would be on the the, uh, naval, the, the sailing maps and everything. And now then you go out there. Yeah, it's, okay. So, the name. All right, so it's off the coast of um, Ireland, right? Uh, generally to the west. 
Yeah, um, allegedly, it's like you said, it's um, okay. So for me, okay. So for me, the association is because of that, you know, kind of vaguely with Ireland. But the thing about this um, is, there's a couple things. The first thing I think of is kind of like wizardry, for lack of a better word, or you know, you could call it sorcery, maybe, but. There's lots of this, like, these disappearing island things going on. And even, I mean, Oak Island, it's really mysterious. You got all the mist and everything, and they sometimes disappear behind mist and all this stuff. Oak Island is at a very similar latitude, you know, to higher Brazil. It was also, one of the really interesting things about that is that there was also a message in a crop circle. I don't know if you know this one generally. Um, okay, well, it was, and I saw this on Ancient Aliens. This was uh, on the History Channel in the United States here. And um, it was talking about there being, um, essentially it was a message, it, it gave the coordinates supposedly of higher Brazil. This was someone decoded a crop circle that had a bunch of, you know, like cipher in it or something of that nature. And it gave the coordinates, latitude, longitude of higher Brazil. And it said that um, something about experiment, humanity, um, there's still time, don't give up hope and don't, um, what is it? be aware of the false gifts that are given to you, something like this. And, uh, you know, initially I would say, okay, you know, someone making stuff up, but I I just, I had a feeling about that one. I'm like, no, that seems like in line with what I would expect. Kind of, you've got this, this mysterious Island, you know, it's associated with the crop circle culture, which is, you know, I think the most in the world in the UK area. Um, so it was a weird thing, but the other thing I thought about, I'm like, where's this, where's this name Brazil coming from? And uh, I can't remember what I found. It's on Wikipedia if you guys look it up for the etymology. But there's another thing going on with this that's actually, to me, the more important part is that um, because words, I think, rarely exist as in a vacuum or, you know, on an island unto themselves. But when I mentioned uh, Pangaea before, well, you know, when you have the continents connected, Brazil is very close to Ireland. Yeah, it's not that not that far. So to me. All of this stuff is harkening back to when we had one landmass. Um, and the other part about this, this gets even better, is that this is one of probably my favorite one, maybe of all time, in terms of this Pangaea idea, is that you've got the people of North, again, who we are in North Africa, you've got the people of North Africa who are called, the, they don't call themselves the Berbers, they're called the Berbers. And that's where, of course, the word barbarian comes from. And it's, you know, a really, really derogatory term. And uh, it's not what they call themselves. They call themselves the Amazon people. Mm. They don't spell it. They spell it A-M-A-Z-I-N-G-H or something like this. But guess what? Again, that was connected to Brazil. It was connected to Brazil. So I refuse to believe that the land masses were not connected when people lived on the earth. I actually believe that it was an absolute catastrophe, cataclysm. I don't know how many people survived, but uh, Mm. a few maybe here and there, and maybe they went in caves or something. I have no idea. But what I so, think about, well, they were connected. You know, the cultures were. Oh, sorry, Robbie. I was going to say, if you get there's a, there's an old line of thinking um, that the gra- the specific gravity of the planets changed, and essentially the planet was smaller, um, and that as the almost like an atom changes valence, like as we circle and and time progresses, like the gravity has changed. Uh, and the and it's allowed the planet to actually swell and grow, and as a result of that, it's also caused uh, the inhabitants of the planet um, to become smaller. 
so it's oh. this, yeah um but but i i have something to say about the floating island at some point when we get there but go ahead okay yeah, no problem this, this is all great um it's i i think about that idea too it's like um it's like you're baking a cake in the oven and when you look at the top you know if you apply enough heat and pressure it actually will split at the top that's like the crust splitting you know moving apart and expand the expansion you know from the steam you've got magma under the uh, earth and everything so it could be any of that stuff but yeah i, I totally see that um so anyway and the other part about it is if you look if you look at the i'm going to call them the amazon people you know because i'm gonna, I'll, I'll say how they call themselves I think that's appropriate. Um, if you look at their faces, they actually have a lot of face tattoos, and it looks like a tribe from South America. It does mm. not look like something related to the East. So this is one of those examples of people when it split. Some people were um, marooned on the west side of the land masses. Some people were marooned on the east side. And look so, at the Toltecs, as far as those giant Toltec heads that are down yeah. in South America yeah. and, and they all have um, African features. Right. I think, uh, I think it's the Olmec, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Robbie. Olmec, the ones yeah. 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 That's, right around yeah. La Venta, uh, Mexico. Right. Right. Um, Toltec, the Toltec are also very interesting. Just North of Mexico city. They had their own thing going on there that you right. start getting, Olmec, into lots, yeah. you start getting into lots of tales about Atlantis and that up that way too. Um, they call it, actually, they call it, um, Azatlan and right. it's like, okay, so what, what is all the stuff with Atlantis? So I'm, I'm going to try to bring this together here. So what I, th I used to believe that Atlantis was actually a, a very large Island in the, you know, like between, let's say the Americas and Europe and Africa, that mm -hmm. it took up a lot of the ocean. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. Well, it's called that cause it's talking about the ocean. And of course, Atlan, I believe means water which comes from, um, you know, the Mesoamerican peoples. Right. So the thing about it is that I thought about it for a long time. And I was thinking about plate splitting, maybe land going down, land coming up. And I'm like, all right, I'm not sure if this is, I'm not sure if I'm understanding this right yet. I've thought about Greenland being the Atlantis and it got pushed up and it froze. I've thought about uh, Antarctica being the same thing. You know, it got pushed down and it froze. I actually think, believe it or not, I actually think um, if you want to find Lemuria, I believe that's actually Atlantis. Uh, excuse me. It's actually Antarctica. Antarctica. And the reason yeah. I think Lemuria is Antarctica as well. Oh, okay. Very good, man. So you, yeah. you've, seen the di you've seen the diagrams of where Antarctica fits into the Indian Ocean then, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think yep. that used to be the great, uh, the, you know, great north um, land. Um, which was essentially on the North Pole. And then when we had the pole reversal, it basically swung around and is now encrusted in ice. Oh, okay, so now that's interesting too, Robbie, because, of course, when I think about the North, I think about uh, Hyperborea. And Hyperborea was the great Northland as well. So right. essentially, maybe the Hyperboreans were the Lemurians. Yeah, yeah that's totally possible, man. It's actually, yeah. I was just looking at that last week, Robbie. It's, this is remarkable. I was like, you know what? And, and I don't know this for a fact. I didn't really do the measurements, but I'm like just by like glancing at it, it kind of looks like Antarctica could kind of fit in the Arctic Ocean. It would take up the whole, the entirety of the Arctic Ocean. It looks about the same size. You know? It does, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm like, that's interesting. You know, what are we dealing with here? Well, so, so now, well, back to the whole floating island thing, right? Um, are you familiar with the TV series Lost? Uh, yeah, I don't think I've really watched it, though, but yeah. Yeah, so this plane goes down and they end up on an island 
and it ends up being some sort of like a MK Ultra trial, like testing ground. Um, but okay. the the main guy on the island is Dr. Richard Alpert, which when you get into that, that is essentially Ram Dass, who used to hang out with Timothy Leary. And and I find it interesting that kind of Ram Dass has like a missing some missing years almost. And I almost feel like that that story is the story of Ram Dass on the island, basically doing these experiments on psychology and time and space. Um, but nonetheless, the, the island where they're on in the series Lost is actually a disappearing island that, that you know, comes and goes. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, this philosophy or this idea of these these floating disappearing you know even you have some of the islands in the skies you know that that float in the skies and disappear and reappear you know it's oh, uh, yeah. we've got a lot of that in the uh, japanese anime right guys the floating yeah. islands right right um the other thing too i saw in ancient aliens is that um and I'm very thankful for that show. You know, I know, of course, it's a Hollywood show. It's Curse mm. of Oak Island is also a Hollywood show. But I'm thankful for what is what is there, you know, as opposed to there being a vacuum. So, mm. you know, I would do it differently, but I'm still very thankful. Anyway, one of the ideas that was put forward with this island idea is that it's actually a uh, disguised um, UFO, essentially, or an, a, a disguised mm. ET craft. The right. reason it disappears is it either goes down into the subterranean land that they live in beneath beneath the oceans or that it lifts off the ground and goes in the skies or potentially I, dimensional I've, shifts I say, I say it again uh, robbie potentially dimensional shifts oh absolutely yeah there's a lot of that i guarantee that <laughs> yeah so um anyway there's lots you know i like to keep all these things in the back of my head because you never know when you're going to need them i don't usually put stuff in the trash can i'm always it's always there if i need it but um, I just want to pull the Atlanta story together. So I've given you guys kind of the illustration of the western coast, the eastern coast. You know, I'm talking about the different continents. Right. And uh, the thing about it is that we also know that um, the Appalachian chain, it actually continues through the UK. Now, the Appalachians are, um, you know, they start in Georgia, United States, in the south there, and they go all the way on the ridgeline up through, New, uh, well, Maine, the last state in the United States, and then up through New Brunswick. And then it kind of ends on the um, Gaspé Peninsula in Quebec. And then it continues in the UK. So it was actually part of the same mountain chain. Yeah, it continues in the UK generally. Yep, the Appalachian chain. So um, they, were called, they, were called, they were called the Central um, Pangaea Mountains, I believe. So this is like this. This is like the spine of Pangaea. You know, it's like the center ridge of mountains through Pangaea, um, and uh, it actually continues up the west coast of Scandinavia too. I believe it's all it's all part of the same geology, supposedly. So what I think happened is that let's just let's put the continents back together. That's the first thing I want to do. So put it back together into the original form of Pangaea there. And kind of just get a feel for where the different lands were connected and start thinking about that. I would encourage people to think about it like that way in terms of trying to understand how cultures moved and everything. And then um, the part that's really going to bring it together for me is uh, it was there was a documentary on uh, on actually Gaia. Uh, it's a, you know, an, an Internet um, television 
program, basically network. It's mm-hmm. a paid subscription. It's well worth it if people are not on there. I would highly encourage it. I found a lot of stuff that I've never seen anywhere else. So uh, one of the shows was uh, actually talking about what's called the reshot structure. Um, do you guys know what that is? The Eye of the Sahara? No. Okay, Maybe, so this, this, but not by that name. <laughs> okay, so this is a really big geological formation in Mauritania, Africa, which is just to the south of Morocco, um, to give you guys an idea of the, of the geography. So it's on the west coast of Africa right there, but it's all desert. You know, this is the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. So it's this big structure. It has these concentric rings. It looks like something mm-hmm. bulged, up, bulged up out of the ground, and it, like, hardened. And it's formed these really weird concentric rings. And it's a big structure. It's a really big structure. It's like many miles across. And so geologists say, oh, yeah, it's, um, it's magma that, that can't actually doesn't have an exit point. It can't get out from the subterranean chasms of the planet, you know. And they say it's pushing up on the rock, which is totally possible, except for the fact right. of when you talk about what Plato says about, about Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he says there's a few big things here. He says Atlantis was outside the Pillars of Hercules. We know where that is. It's, you yeah. know, straight up Gibraltar, right? Okay, so that's number one. People have been looking in Spain. They've been looking, um, you know, on some of the islands there up the coast. Um, but what I say, okay, let me, let me, before I say that, before I reveal this, let me also say that there's um, a description of there being mountains to the north. Um, the mountains to the north are called the Atlas Mountains. Yeah. Oh, there's Atlantis again. And of course, it's talking about the god. And Atlas was the I, king of Atlantis. He was, wasn't it? Was it Poseidon, I thought, wasn't it, Robbie? I think Atlas was the king. And he was married to, uh, what was it, Cleto, who was a mortal woman? Okay. There might have been, it might have been Poseidon that, that um, initiated the civilization. It might have been both. Um, mm. I'm going to have to look back at that, man. That's really interesting. But actually, of course, uh, um, Atlas is. Atlas's daughters of the Pleiades, which um, Robert Lee had brought up to me. Not right. I'm sorry, Robert. I combined your names. So sorry about that, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, he did po- mention that, that the uh, the Pleiades star system. I wonder yeah. if you. We'll get the around pl- to that. Hopefully, the Pleiades. Yeah, the Pleiades are the keys to the mystery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, anyway, the, the description was that the, the mountains bordered Atlantis to the north, and like I said, those are called the Atlas Mountains, uh, which the name is already showing you something about that. And then the other part about this is that um, the dimensions of this structure are like identical. I took it out. I did the measurement. It's like identical to the central island of Atlantis, which was described as having these concentric circles and everything. Right. Right. So I actually believe that that structure is actually the capital of Atlantis. And I don't say that lightly. I've thought about this for a very long time. Now, I'd like to actually see more on that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'll I'll get you the link, uh, Robbie. I'll I'll send that link out to you so you can find the show. Um, But there's a couple more points to this is that um, if you look at uh, Google Earth, people have a look at this. Look at, you know, pull up Mauritania, pull up the, the Eye of the Sahara structure, the reshot structure. And you're going to see that off to the west, the southwest, it looks like a really large um, water feature, you know, for lack of a better word, I would say, I would even say tsunami, essentially. Mm. It basically uh, came over the land and then when it, it it's, it kind of slopes down to the ocean. So what I think happened is that the water kind of, when it filtered out back off the land, it, it made a, 
like a river of sand. You can see where it came back into the ocean there. And it, it actually leads right up to that structure. So what I'm saying, what I think happened, is that if you want to find Atlantis, it's under the Sahara Desert. Mm. It's actually not in the Atlantic Ocean. It's actually very close to, to modern-day Europe. And um, we know the, the associations, there's so many associations with, you know, Thoth and ancient Egypt, obviously. I'm sure you guys know about that. Right. Uh, the other associations are with, uh, with Greece having a lot of this Atlantean flair and flavor and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the, uh, I don't know, when I see, when I, particularly when I think of Crete, I just have a feeling about Atlantis, particularly in that island, which you got the Minoan civilization, you know, worshiping right. and everything. And there's something about like how they dressed and their colors. I'm just like, that's Atlantis. And of course, some of some of what people have suggested for Atlantis is actually um, what's today called uh, uh, Santorini, Greece, which is an island. And mm. um, it's actually uh, it's actually called uh, Thera. And that there was a volcano there that that collapsed and then the water came in. Some people have suggested right, right. Atlantis. Anyway, so if well, you put it, mate, as you say. Sorry, Dave. Um, it's called Thera. It's called Thera or Santorini, Greece. There's um, a caldera that formed when there was, uh, you know, like a tidal, essentially, and the volcano went off. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think that in terms of trying to put that where it belongs, I fully believe that's where it is. And what better way to conceal an entire civilization than just bury it in like 500 feet of sand? You know, who's gonna who's gonna think of that? Who's gonna come up with that? And how are you gonna get to it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, dig, you, you dig the sand and it just goes right back into the hole. You know, it's yeah. not easy to excavate stuff like that. So right. um, I think uh, that's going to be coming up. Um, I don't know when, but I think that's going to be revealed and someone will discover something. I don't know if they're letting researchers really look at that structure, but I think <laughs> it's right there. I think it's right in plain sight. It's underneath the sand. Yeah. And um, it makes sense with all the descriptions and uh, it fits perfectly. And, and that actually... It, it makes it so that uh, it's. I don't have to think about it being actually in the Atlantic Ocean. It was part of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, until yeah. it got. Basically, what I think happened is there was a massive tidal wave. It buried everything in many hundreds of feet of sand, and then the water receded, and now you mm-hmm. have suddenly have a desert. You know, that's yeah. how. That's and I. I feel the same thing, by the way, about Saudi Arabia. I think mm-hmm. that that was part of the Anunnaki settlements and stuff, and then that got obliterated. And now right. people are like, oh, it's the desert. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, well, let's yeah. look under the sand there. Let's see what's going on. And, I mean, you almost have to think that these areas that are sand um, were heavily farmed, um, were, you know, had all these factors that contributed to it becoming um, a desert. Oh, definitely. You know? Well, so, there's... A lot, a lot of stories about um, the Egypt, too, in terms of the Sphinx having the water erosion patterns. Have you seen that one, oh, Robbie? Yeah. For sure, for sure. So, you know, people suggesting... Well, and that would require, I think, it, what did they say, a 68-foot um, consistent water flood, you know, to, to establish that level. Oh, okay. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, all this stuff is absolutely fascinating. I also think um, I'm, I'm sure how much time we got left, guys. But in terms of the standing stones, I do want to mention that now where, where I grew up. And I know Robbie knows some, at least a little bit about this because he mentioned uh, America Stonehenge to me, which is in Salem, New Hampshire, United right. States. And it's um, there. There are, in fact, in, in my opinion, without a doubt, 
lots of standing stones that have been toppled over. And I've been up there, or obviously been up there too, um, on their sides. Some of them are maybe 10 feet, even 12 feet long. You know, mm-hmm. it's not in the ground anymore, but I'm looking at this thing. It's like this perfectly flat, like rectangular stone. It's got a point on the top of it. And I'm like, that's a men here. That thing was standing. Yep. And it's hu- they are huge up there. So, um, you know, through the years, you had uh, farmers coming in. They, they repurposed a lot of the stones. They knocked stuff yeah. down. They used it for building materials, you know, uh, equal opportunity because they, they found it on their land. But you go up there and there's these little chambers. They're maybe two feet high entrances that are just tucked into the hillside. You know, what on earth in, in this supposedly and, this sa- sacrifice table at the top yep. there? And there's supposed to be some druidic um, carvings in a couple places as well. Oh, okay. On yeah. the site, Robbie, or near the, on the, or near the site? On the site, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, you've no. got that. You've got that, man. You've got um, – the, there's a lot actually through um, through Connecticut and even Rhode Island, um, parts of Massachusetts and things. Uh, Vermont, I, I was actually in a, if people want to see it, they, you know, I'll give you my Instagram afterwards, but you can see it where I went to, it's called the Calendar One site in Vermont, USA. And um, it's, it's, I mean, if, if I was put there and I was looking at that, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm probably in the UK. And then if someone told me in the United States, I'd be like, no, come on. Yeah. This looks like something you find right out of Ireland or Britain. And somewhere in Vermont, um, I want to say around Brattleberry, there is one of the largest Masonic obelisks in the United States that, that just like, you know, you drive past it on one of the roads out there, but it's just huge. And it's in the middle of like a valley and it's just like the most prominent thing you can see for miles. Wow. I haven't heard of that, Rob. If you, if you know what that is, please send me that uh, picture. Yeah, I'll find out where it's at. I've driven by it several times. So, well, to bring up the obelisk in Vermont, you know, I did a lot of research on the uh, the Mormon Trail, actually, which is the Mm. Latter Day Saint movement. And at Joseph Smith's birth site, which is also in in mid Vermont, it's in Sharon, Vermont. There's Mm -hmm. a massive obelisk. That may be it. Oh, (laughs) thinking about yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's his birth site, and it's one of the biggest in the world, I think. Actually, still in, um, existing here. A fair, you know, in early 1900s. Just you think? Was what's that uh, generally? You think it's just a coincidence, or it's um, one of those? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think it is. Is um, I think there's some Freemason overtones, uh, as Robbie alluded to, mm. and um, you know, but it, Freemasonry. A lot of people would say that it goes back to ancient Egypt. Um, you know, in terms of the original the origin of that, I, I believe it used to be a very pure um, spiritual tradition. You know, they were teaching correct concepts and stuff. Uh, uh, some people maybe still be doing that. I don't really know because I'm not part of uh, many of those groups. But there's, there's also people call the Freemasons into question quite frequently about what their motives are, what they're doing. You know, there's some there's some weird stuff with that stuff, too. And Well, I even think that when you look at, you know, Freemasonry going back to Egypt, I think that a lot of the Egyptian stuff goes back to Atlantis. Oh, definitely. You know. Yeah, they, um, in terms of Thoth, he was supposed to be the god king of Atlantis, and he brought the records, you know, they say underneath the Sphinx, so... You know, and again, you don't. How far do you have to travel if you're in Western Africa to get to Egypt? It's not not that bad. Not that far, yeah. 
So um, it's just to hop over there, you know, and I think, um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Atlantis was actually an island and, you know, there's a big river. I think this is, I don't know, I mean, this might be in the geology, man. I think I looked at it. I can't remember completely. I think it is, though, is that it, there is a big river that runs underneath that part of Africa that will essentially cuts off uh, eastern Africa from uh, the western part of it. So right. I, I think it actually was an island. So, you know, all you would have would have had to do is to leave um, Atlantis and sail a little very short distance across, you know, maybe a big river or channel or something. Right. And then you'd be over very like in Libya or something like that. Or if it was in the middle of a some sort of a giant sea, you know. Oh, totally. Ones, you know, where, where essentially those concentric circles were, you know, almost like uh, like in the Great Lakes or something, a larger sea body, you know um yeah yeah absolutely man the other thing too <clears throat> i want to add to this is that um the models a lot of the models of the flat earth i do i do a lot with flat earth i don't um focus on it but it's a very yeah. important topic and, and there's many reasons why there's many references to it in the ancient texts people mm. say they didn't know what they were talking about and I, what i say is i don't know about that guys because they were yeah. masters everything they did everything yeah. And I was just actually looking at a flat earth map uh, probably less than five, eight minutes ago. And huh? when you were talking about the continents lining up, and I think you can see that more readily in some of the flat earth maps than you can see on the globe model, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. The perspective is a lot easier to right. um, think right. about for sure, man. Well, I think, um, okay, so anyway, what I want to say about this concentric circle idea is that in some of the flat earth maps, not all of them, but some of them actually feature uh, ridges of land and concentric uh, pieces of land and then alternating bodies of channels and water and stuff like that. So some people, I've thought about this a lot, say that the entire Earth was Atlantis, that mm. this is Atlantis. This is what right. the Earth is. Um, and then supposedly, extra, well, the idea is in the flat Earth model, there's extra lands beyond Antarctica, mm -hmm. you know. Right. So that would be like the barrier, the water barrier, so to speak, you know, frozen water. But the ice wall, yeah. Right, exactly, the ice wall. And then past that, uh, there's a lot of people that actually do believe there's other extraterrestrial well, lands out there. Some of the – actually – oh, sorry, good. Have you seen the United Nations map that is in the UN building itself where they actually have um, what appears to be – the earth model inside of the center and then the ice. And then outside of that, there's multiple other kind of continental um, maps that, that kind of tie into that. Oh man. Well, I've seen the, I've seen the basic one, Robbie. I don't know if I've seen the version where there's ones outside of that. I'd yeah. like to see. It. Right. And this is actually at the UN. So, which okay. makes it even more interesting, you know? Yeah, you know, I wish we I wish we just lived in a, a no nonsense kind of planet, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Uh, in my opinion, there's a lot of nefarious stuff going on. Uh, it's very obvious to me. I don't know, you know, about to everyone, but mm. all, honestly, all I want is like I, I just want um, I want people to le to be able to live honorable existences. You know, no matter what you do, no matter how you live, um, you know, just I, I just want people to be free and happy and to have a, a fair equity. Uh, planet you know so right. right right now i don't i don't think i could define it as that <laughs> we got a lot of work to do to get to that point but sure. anyway so some some of the people with the flat earth community say actually that 
the lands outside of the um, the water, you call it the ice wall, are actually where a lot of the alien species are coming from. They're actually coming across the ice wall into our the center part of the plane, the flat Earth plane. Um, I believe, I actually tend to believe that. I also believe they come from uh, the subterranean realms, and I also believe they come from other parts of the universe. So for me, it's right. not one uh, one place, you know. It's multiple. Yeah. Are you um, are you for hollow Earth, Dave? Um, I am for well, the way I teach the way I teach that kind of is I teach about the dimensions that are below the Earth, which is a mirror to me and Robbie did you know a great show on this when uh, he was on my podcast a few days ago. If people want to check that out on my YouTube channel, but basically beneath the Earth, the through the center of the Earth, which is the North Pole region essentially. The idea is there's a cosmic axis, which is a, a pole or a staff that it's also called the world tree, goes to the very center. And <clears throat> above that, you have the 10 heavens or the 10 heavenly spheres. That's how I teach it. Um, and below that, you have the 10 hellish spheres or the 10 hellish realms. And they're, um, they're counterparts to each other. So if you, were, if you were in the second, say the second heaven, second heaven would be the realm of, of Mercury, planet Mercury. Yeah. If, if you flip that around, it's... Um, you're in the, the hellish version of the Mercury realm, which would be below the Earth. So the way I teach it, and the way the Hindus teach it, or the pre-Hindus in India, is actually, um, I just did a show on this too with uh, with my friend and co-host uh, on another podcast I do, Karen Holton. It's called Aliens and Astrology, if people want to check that out. Um, it's actually, uh, it's, it's flipped beneath the Earth there, and um, what you have are, realms of increasing density the further right. below the earth that you go and uh one of the ways i conceive of hell is that actually i, I think of it more as like immobility which means right. that your body is so heavy that you it's essentially like you're made of stone now imagine right. imagine having to stand in the same place for your entire life and you can't move maybe right. the only thing that can move is your eyes and some of that stuff i get a weird feeling about this in terms of some of the um stories about people being turned to stone and also about uh the strange really strange topic but uh ventriloquism and puppetry and the story of pinocchio and stuff like this mm -hmm. i think i think that i think that the lower realms you have less freedom and the body is denser and you have more rigid, rigidity so the way it's I'm, taught in the hindu cosmology oh okay great robbie so the way that is taught in the hindu mythology the vedic system of cosmology is that there are uh, flat planes beneath the Earth. There are, uh, there are alternate versions of Earth that they might even look almost identical to Earth, but they have um, a lot less energy. I don't really think you have color down there. Uh, I think the color ends on Earth, actually. I think mm -hmm. it's all black and white and gray and stuff, anything below the Earth. Wait and uh, Exactly right. And you can see this. It's, it's all based on um, the, the torus field essentially how energy moves in a toroid toroidal field that's how you get your dimensional models and stuff like that it looks like an hourglass basically and the right. center guess this guess what the center is it's the earth and the word earth has the same exact letters as the word heart because the heart is at the center which means the earth is also at the center um so anyway beneath that you have uh, denser and denser realms the further down you go i teach 10 hellish realms uh, and, um, you know, I, I think of them, rather than a hollow earth, I think of them as kind of a separated dimension, that it, it does exist in, in a spatial sense below the earth, but I don't think of it as like a, at much, as much as some ter, a subterranean realm. I actually think 
the subterranean realm actually might be limited to our version of Earth, meaning that it, it's part of the as part of this Earth. It's a lower gradient of this plane, and then below this plane, you have another ten denser systems, which are essentially copies of Earth. I do levels. think, yeah, I do think that there are vast cave networks within the crustal aspects of the Earth itself. But yeah. yeah, you know, I think once you get, I, I think that it moves in layers, like you're saying. Yeah, and the mythologies, you know, from the native people in the Americas, I can speak to this a lot, and I've done actually a lot of research with it, and I didn't even know they talk about this on the eastern seaboard as well as in the southwest of the United States. But basically, you know, a lot of the native tribes say that there were many sets of cataclysms that happened each time they were taken underground. A lot of times they say it was by the ant people. Ant people, right, right. Okay, which to me are essentially aliens, mm. uh, sectoid aliens. And they took them underground so that they weren't destroyed. And then when it was cleaned and everything was fixed, they brought them back up. Right. And they said, okay, here's your restored land. Right. And I actually had a friend of mine who's a Navajo Hayoka um, tell me almost, you know, what you just told me, um, but in a bit more detail. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Man, I, I'd love to connect with him, Robbie, if you're still friends. Uh, love to talk oh, to yeah. Him about He's out west. So, so. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I would love to have that conversation because I think um, I believe they're the, the holders of the wisdom on, on this continent, you know, and I, yeah. I really value what they're what they have to say. Um, so anyway, yeah, I agree. There's subterranean tunnels, I think, across the entire Earth. I actually have thought about one of the other ways that uh, humans can migrate is through the subterranean tunnels. And um, you can actually, um, theoretically, in my mind, you would be able to travel literally across the ocean if you're way under the <laughs> if you're way under the ocean in some kind of a tunnel, man. Yeah. You know, you could yeah. you could technically, I think, get all the way. You don't have to think about sea travel is what I'm trying to get at. You can get under there underneath the floor of the ocean. Yeah. It's just <sighs> fucking on one. The fascination is uh -huh. thick. It is thick. Um, it's never ending. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And um, in terms, I just want to say one more thing about Oak Island, too, is uh, one of the big theories on Oak Island is that uh, it was set up to be the new Atlantis, actually. Mm. And this is directly from Francis Bacon. People right. are familiar with, you know, father of the scientific method. Right. Um, scientific method is the basis for everything I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm hundred percent in agreement with how he did things, looking at the natural world, you know, learning from the processes. So anyway, the idea I think was to, uh, set up a, uh, a new system, new groups of people with a, a better model for success and everything. And, um, a lot of people think that he chose Oak Island to actually be that place. And, uh, there's, he has a book, you know, the new Atlantis, uh, right. I would encourage people to go out and read it. Oh, there it's was a fun a, read too. Yeah, it's a great one, right, Robbie? Yeah, definitely. I would highly encourage everyone to read the New Atlantis by Francis Bacon. So we've got that one. Um, I also want to give a shout out to someone else involved in the Oak Island search. His name is Randall Sullivan. He he wrote his own book about um, Oak Island, and the conclusion I believe he came to was that it was uh, it's directly related to Francis Bacon as well. And he has a lot of details and references from Bacon's work in there uh, yeah. to support that. Now, well, I was going to say, interestingly enough about Francis Bacon, 
Um, he was he was driven out of like popular society and culture. He was like basically during his time he was canceled, you know, as part of cancel culture. Um, and he left the Senate in disgrace. And that's when he kind of went into hiding and started to really write about all of this stuff as far as the New Atlantis. And um, he was working basically almost as the hand of the queen, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supposedly, um, and I'm going to give another shout out to one of my friends in a minute here, but supposedly uh, he was the rightful heir to the throne of both England and France. Yes. And that's why he was excommunicated. That's not, it's not coming from me. It's coming from some of my friends' research. Right. Uh, and uh, there's, there's some other stuff, too. I, I just want to give a shout out, though, to uh, Jake Roberts. He's um, also, uh, he's really big with ciphers. He does a really great job. Ciphers is not my cup of tea. Uh, I'm not really that great at it. And um, I have so much on my plate just to, to begin with in any case. But he does a phenomenal job. And um, he's actually got a, a YouTube channel. It's called The Ghosts of Bacon. Uh, I really highly, I couldn't, in fact, I can't highly recommend Jake enough. I'm amazed at his work and he's, uh, he's brought a lot of really great people on board too. Um, and so he believes that Oak Island also is a a creation of Francis Bacon and it's terms of being well supported. That's an understatement. I can't, I cannot believe what this, uh, what this man has put together. Absolutely astonishing. So go check that out. And the other thing he said about bacon, which I just heard for the first time, I don't know how, um this week is that he believes that francis bacon was actually he had many aliases you know one of them is shakespeare i actually agree with that um the other one is that he was actually the same person that was called samuel de champlain Mm, i've heard that yeah yeah he was the same person he was the same explorer so basically he uh, supposedly faked his death, and then he went over to the Americas and then did all the work right. he needed to to set up the new Atlantis in that part of the world. Well, this is really, really deep uh, topic, guys, and I'm, I'm just uh, I'm really appreciative that. I love interested. it. Now, That's oh, I got a question for you, Dave. Um, being from the East Coast area, what do you know about Croatoa? Man, Robbie, I, this just came up yesterday. <laughs> Again, it just oh, came up yesterday. Well, this is, this is about um, the Jamestown colony, right? Correct. Okay, so there was, uh, there was uh, it's a, I think it's also about Virginia Dare, if I'm not mistaken. Is that, I hope that's her name. I hope I'm mm. getting that correct. So basically, um, there was a lost colony of settlers uh, somewhere, uh, I think it was southeast of Jamestown, Virginia. And um, they were, uh, they just disappeared. They disappeared right. and, and they, the explorers couldn't find them when they came back to the Americas again after coming back from, I think, uh, Europe. And uh, people don't really know where they went. And I think that, that phrase that Robbie said was carved on a tree, I believe. Right. And, um, you know, the, in terms of the word origin, I think people are still puzzling on it. But what do you think? What do you think about that, Robbie? Um, I actually have, let me get in here. I'll find it. Um, I did find one translation of that and give me just a second. I got it right here. It comes. So, um, let's see. Coolridge, Robert Southerly, the satanic school is what, 
a couple people have linked it to where basically they almost believe they were sacrificed. Okay. Yeah. Really? Oh. So. And that, you know, what Robbie, that, that would make sense really, wouldn't it? For, for like a, a tribe to just vanish. Well, or if they sent them over and as a, um, almost like an initial sacrifice to the land itself, you know, to basically quell the land to settle it again. Like swap shop, mate. Yeah. But yeah, that's hard to say. You know, that's all just speculation. So, yeah. Well, there's, there's this topic. It's a really big topic about uh, the blood sacrifice. You know, it's a ho- that's mm-hmm. a show in itself. Right. It's a little right. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. But the, the claim, the claim for Christianity is that Jesus was the last blood sacrifice. You know, that right. he, he was the sacrifice for humanity, for the planet. For all sacrifices. Right. And uh, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, this, it, you know, there was animal sa- animal sacrifice. To right, the, right. Again, this, they're going back to this concept of the Lord again, which for me is the lard. The it's the fat of the animal. He didn't want the muscle of the of the uh, of the well, animal. He's you guys eat that the blood and the fat. fat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and what is what does that sound like? That sounds like this whole cattle mutilation phenomenon. Yeah, to me, it's identical to that. Is that you've had. There's supposedly experiencers that, you know, being up in the ET ships, they said, oh, yeah, we saw vats of, like, blood and fluids and body parts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You've got, you know, this cattle mutilation thing, and no one can explain this. I mean, well, it's, got all a, that, it's got... All that kind of ties back into the ideas of genetic experimentation. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that goes back, in my opinion, to ancient Mesopotamia. To the Garden and, of Eden. Uh, <laughs> Right, absolutely, and actually, me and Bobby just talked about that. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is question about um, who came down here. You know, who's who's uh, kind of altering the genetic code? Why? You know, what what is this? Some some of what I believe is that the Earth it, it does feel like a bit of an experiment, mm-hmm. um, except for the fact. And by the way, you know, with astrology, when, even when you're looking at the zodiac, you can see it's called zodiac means the wheel of animals. So you, you can see that it's primarily animals. You know, there's the human is Aquarius, and then you've got some principles like um, the Virgin, which is more principle than a human, and uh, the twins, which is again more principle than a human. So the thing is, is like, well, this is interesting. So uh, the humans featured in here, but you've also got you've got the uh, ox, you've got the ram, you've got the goat. What there's a scorp there's a scorpion and, so, and what I thought about yeah the fish which is Pisces yeah. uh, I'm actually a Pisces so I know a lot about Pisces so the thing about it is it looks a lot to me like some kind of experiment meaning that uh, and I used this example the other day on uh, I don't know if it was with you Robbie or with um, my co-host Karen Holton but basically the example I used was that you have a human that's born. Let's say he's the person's born under the sign of Taurus. Well, Taurus is the bull. Now, if you know Taurus people, they have essentially <clears throat> they have the mind of a bull or a cow. And I'm not saying it derogatory way. I'm saying it the the way they go about the world, the way they approach things, the amount of time they take with things, their interests. It, if you go out into a field and you observe a cow, you tell me that's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're not doing the same thing as that human's doing. Watch how they move. Watch how they 
spend time looking at things and relaxing and all this stuff. Um, you go out into you go out into a field with cows. They're just so happy to be out there. They like they like to be. You know, I've seen cows laying in in beautiful fields of flowers, just relaxing. Well, if you know a Taurus, most Taurus people like flowers and they like relaxing. It's the same exact thing going on. So now, if you get a, if you get a bull that's born under the sign of Aquarius, which is a sign of the human, I'm going to go ahead and say that that bull has the mind of a human. But when you watch that bull moving, you tell me that's not like how humans act and how they think and how they move. Um, so there's this there's this thing that's going with these uh, transfers back and forth. Some of that, I do believe, is just freedom of creation. And it's nice to be able to experience things maybe as a different kind of entity or being or an animal or a human or a plant or whatever. There's the idea of a transmigration of the soul with that, too. But the other part of it. Um, I do feel like um, there is a lot of nefarious things going on on this planet, without a doubt. I think a lot of it's actually dimensional, believe it or not. Um, I think the, the I think the earthly paradise is, has always existed here, but I believe it's at a higher gradient. Mm. And um, we think there's only one Earth until uh, if you if you've been able to to tap into some of the higher dimensions, you're like, wait a minute, I'm in the same space. I'm seeing things completely differently. I feel <laughs> completely realm, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. But it might look you might. And I'll tell you something weird. This is a really weird thing about this. If you really pay close attention, I would go ahead and wager that if you um, if you know what to look for, you can actually see that it's it's a it's an almost identical copy. Mm. Copy When you copy a dimension in a higher gradient, it's almost indistinguishable, except there's very small differences that, that I've been able to notice sometimes. And the way to find that is go to a. One of the best ways to do this, go to something that has like a really tight seal on it, like a, a door or like, um, you know, like the hole between logs. Go do, go go somewhere like that or like your uh, your electronic device. I and was going to say light function functions completely different on other planes. Oh, absolutely, man. And yeah. so um, and so what I'm, getting, yeah, what I'm getting at is that if, if you feel like you're a person that, that moves through dimensions frequently, just like go up to um, go up some go up to something that you know maybe your house. It's a good way to do it. Go go somewhere where you know there's a little crack in the wall or something, and just like go kind of go over there and focus on it. See see how much of your of the finger can kind of fit into the into that uh, uh, opening there, and, and to see if it looks different or see if it, it feels different when you approach it and kind of interact with it. The reason I'm saying that, right? And so that one of the things that I've noticed. Uh, it, when I have had uh, experiences in other dimensions is that that's the first thing that I, I key in on. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, this is not the same place because I didn't do that. I didn't compress this crack here in this wall. And now when I go up to it and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, it's a smaller crack today. And then if, you know, you have to know what you're looking for, but when you leave that dimension, you come down to another one, you go out to the same place and you're like, how is it bigger now? Like, what the hell just happened? I'm saying it's a very minuscule amount, guys, but it's enough where if you put a piece of paper in it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Or you try to, to put the finger up to it. You'll see yeah. there's differences. Uh, slight copying errors is what I call them. So oh, I actually Now, that leads me to thinking along the lines that what if some of these colossal stone structures and the fact that we can't even fit a piece of paper or razor blade between them were potentially built on higher planes and then yeah. through the course of time, somehow they settled into a different realm. 
Oh man, that, I, that's exactly mm. what I. I actually think that I said for a long time. It's like I, I basically it was a suggestion at first, and now it's actually my belief. I said, mm. well, what if when it was constructed, they weren't that heavy? Right. Now, the way, now, the way I think of, I think about this, I, I've done some um, work with uh, with theater before. I used to play. Yeah. Um, I actually played clarinet. I played clarinet since I was yes. ten. So I play clarinet in musicals all through high school and everything. And so I've seen a lot of like props, you know, I've been on stage, backstage, stuff like that. Well, sometimes you go to, you know, if you have to create a, something with like a, like a patio, say, or like um, an ancient like stucco building or something, you've got these pieces of styrofoam, right, mm -hmm. in the back. And people have spray painted it to look like a rock. Right. But when I think about the big rocks, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, okay, so... You know, we, we, we know we know that dimensions shift. We know about atomic structure and, and valences and stuff and losing electrons, gaining electrons. So what I said is that, all right, you know, it looks the same, but if the energetic state has switched, it doesn't right. have to be what we consider heavy. Right. It does not have to be. And I've also called into question uh, carbon-14 dating, and I'm like, you mm -hmm. know what? That's assuming that the decay rate is constant. Is, right. I don't think it is constant. The whole right. the whole realm changes as we move well, through cycle time. And that gets into that idea I was speaking earlier of in regard to less gravity and and as things, you know, as the gravity became more, um, it allowed, you know, the 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 shrinking of the people and the expansion of the of the you know, body, kind of like a, like the cake like you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. I, I agree with that. And I think um, the way I, I think you used the word too earlier, Robbie, is that this idea of compression in that, you know, I don't know if people are, you know, I'm sure some people, spiritual people have keyed into this, but I have, I've noticed a change in the quality of, um, I'll say the atmosphere. I'm not really sure how to, I would say the etheric grid of the earth. Yeah. That's how I would define it. Yeah, what, what I mean by that generally is uh, um, I'm talking about the structures that are both visible and invisible on the planet. So when you see like your table, your, ta your table in front of you, we all know that's made of it's matter, you know, but yeah. the, the clear, um, the uh, transparent air all around us is also a form of matter, which I call ether. Um, it's there's density to it. And that's, that's actually why planes, well, not for ether specifically, is with air. But that's why planes can fly is because air has density. You just can't really see that. So what right. I'm saying is that think of um, I just going to explain this. Um, it's a think of like a three. Well, it's not even three. It's actually ten dimensional is in terms of what I believe. But um, ten plus the flip, which makes uh, twenty, plus the Earth, which makes twenty-one. That's how I teach it. But basically, I just make this simple. If you think about a cube, and let's just say the cube. This is a cube with three dimensions. Um, and you put some, um, say it's made out of, um, like blown glass or something like that. And you made this little figurine in the center of that cube. Like, like an onion. What's, what's that, Robbie? Like a, like an onion or a glass onion as the Beatles would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they say that. <laughs> oh yeah. They have a song called the glass onion. Glass onion. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to check this out after the show here. Uh, right? it's really <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've also described sometimes the um, the Earth system as is like a, well, I I describe it as what I say. Um, I say the Earth bubble system, which is 
which is spheres inside of spheres inside of spheres. Right. It's like right. the Russian thing dolls, you know, or the onion idea. That's how the dimensions are organized. Um, so I teach it. But in any case, just, yeah, think about, um, we can use the onion example. So, well, actually, maybe I should, well, there's not a lot of necessarily free space in that. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that there is, um, there's matter that you can see, there's matter that you cannot see. All of that matter together, the, the visible matter plus the invisible matter makes a, like a three-dimensional grid. So if you were trying to find a point, if you're like in a room and you're trying to find a point in space and it's like not part, if the point you're looking for is like not part of your wall or part of your chair or something like that, maybe the point you're looking for is like in the very center of the room, uh, maybe like four feet up from the ground. This is what I'm talking about is that that's a locatable point and there's matter there and that matter is what I call ether. Right. And it's essentially it's it's not um, it hasn't been it hasn't been solidified down to a visible form of matter yet, but it's still it's still uh, available to create things. And that's one of the ways I believe quantum physics actually works. So um, I'm trying to remember the reason I even brought this up. What were we talking about with the uh, invisible? The the compressed Um, aspect of going from more etheric state to a more compressed state in the form of the matrioska dolls or the glass onion. Exactly. So what the way that I've, I observed this myself before I even started to try to talk about it as a you know, theory of, of sorts, I don't think it's a theory for me. It, it, it feels like it's correct. But um, I remember maybe around 2012, again, this is you know a big shift. The Mayans said, okay, it's going to happen. And then everyone's saying it didn't happen. I'm saying it did happen. If you're paying, if you're paying attention, it absolutely did happen. Yeah, the Mayan um, calendar has specific aspects as far as the transit of Venus and several several other uh, astral aspects in the cosmos that that you know point to that being the time when the shift happened. Oh, that's right, that's right. And things for me, um, things actually started to get weird in in 2008, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when I started to really learn about the spiritual world and everything and mysticism and all these topics and uh actually my friend again my friend santos bonacci he he was the same year he was 2008 uh then you had uh, of course 2012 come up and then since 2012 things have gotten progressively weirder every year and then after 2019 it got off the charts weird at least for me yeah so um it's it is happening i think what's happening is the dimensions are actually fracturing and they're splitting um there's kind of a quarantine thing happening now. Um, you might, most people are not going to notice it because again, you can copy anything into a dimension and make it seem like it has changed when in right. fact it's changed a lot. But what I'm, well, I'm getting, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say now, did you know that during the pandemic that John Hopkins, who was behind a lot of the pandemic response um, was also in charge of the astral near-earth object um basically data and there's a lot of uh talk about the possibility of uh, asteroids and and freeman fly gets into it quite a bit that that maybe they were like putting us into a state of shelter because of a, a perceived threat from the cosmos you know very interesting that brother yeah yeah and so when you say shelter robbie what do you mean by that as far as uh, putting us in places where if a catastrophe were to happen, 
that we would have a better chance of survival as a species. Okay, I got that. I got that. Mm. Uh, so in any case, when I used to, when I went outside, maybe starting around 2012, I just like the air felt different to me. So a lot of people have been talking about the sun too. The sun feels different. Sun well, it was yeah. yellow and it it's now more white. I've noticed. <laughs> and I spend massive, like in the summertime, I'm outside all the time. Like, you know, for the last like 30 years, I'll get hotels here and there, but you know, generally I'm in the sun experiencing the sun. And I noticed a direct shift from a more yellow phase to a more white phase, you know, myself. Absolutely, man. So the entire uh, realm is, is shifting and changing, but I noticed almost like, I don't know if, I, you know, it's probably not the right term. I'm just going to use the term because it, it's kind of the best way I can explain it. It felt like the, the barometric pressure almost it was mm -hmm. changing. Um, at my wherever I was living and I noticed it like it was over a couple months I'm like wait a minute this feels weird something's yeah. different when I go outside now so what that is for me is is that the dimensional grid of the earth is actually shifting yeah and it feels what it actually feels like is that everything is more exposed it used to feel like things were in a lot of ways safer and actually the all the blindfolds are coming off now the veils are mm -hmm. being lifted it's really messing with a lot of people. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty difficult time. It's also an exciting time. Right. But what I think what I think it is is that there are um, electromagnetic properties that probably is what I'm feeling. It might not be as much the air pressure, but uh, when, did you like when, did you see the uh, NASA um, where they had basically documented the collapse of the magnetosphere of the Earth? Um, oh, I don't think so. Probably. Yeah, tell me yeah this this must have been probably. Oh, five to eight years ago, it was a big, it was a kind of a big issue amongst certain crowds, but the magnetosphere basically um, dwindled down to almost nothing um, at that point. What, what year was that? What year was that in? I want to say around 2008, 2000, yeah, 2010, maybe. Okay, so maybe, sounds... maybe it was after that, but yeah, it seems like it, maybe it was eight to 10 years ago is what it seems like in my head. Well, it's probably related to the pole shift then, which I think we're due for. Um, and actu actually, um, Frank Jacob, he's, he's a really great uh, researcher. He talks about how he thinks it's going to happen, actually, I believe he said, uh, in April of next year. Yep. So, you know, whatever it is, I, I, you know, I don't know where you guys stand. I'm ready for this. Let's, let's bring it on. Let's get this done. You know, it's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I think it's... It comes in concert with also dimensional shifts, and so things yeah. are taking, things are things are taken care of. You know, people are going to be where they need to be at the right time in the right space. You know, I believe that. Um, but it's uh, is a serious change, and I think I already mentioned. You know, we've got the winter solstice a couple of weeks away, yeah. and some some people some people have actually actually suggested suggested several things once some people said actually the, the end of the mind calendar was actually winter solstice 2020 or yeah. or even this one or even 2022 but yeah i would debate that yeah i hear that with the venus you're talking about but what yes. i what i look what i look with with this stuff and again since i'm an astrologer is that i'm looking at larger brackets of time mm. so you when you talk about the ages the ages of the earth you're talking about which zodiac sign we're in uh, we used to be in Pisces, you know, the transition's happening into Aquarius. 
Well, the, there's a lot of question about when that either happened or it's going to happen or, right. you know, already happened. We don't, and we don't well, know. it's, it's a determinate factor upon where the sun rises in the sign itself in the heavens. That's um, correct. On, on the spring equinox specifically. Um, and I've, from some of the star mapping that I've looked at, um, that's not, we're not supposed to come fully into Aquarius until like, um, 2,226 or somewhere, somewhere around there, another couple hundred years. Oh my goodness, man. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so let me, let me, uh, let me, let me give you my perspective on it. It's going to directly relate to what you just said. Okay. So I did a show with Chris Matthew on the forbidden knowledge news network and we were talking and he's got a great show, by the way, go definitely go over subscribe. Got some great guests coming in all the time. And Chris is awesome. Just a great guy. Great host. Anyway, um, what I was talking about in that show, and it actually came to me as a download uh, during the show. I hadn't thought about it before. I had the information available, you know, if I needed it. But this is where one of the ways, I mean, it's infinite, but this is one of the ways astrology helps to define ages and characteristics and what we're seeing and all this kind of stuff. Right. So Aquarius is defined as the age of the machine, mm. among other things. It's also the space age. It's the futuristic age. It's the age of man. It's all this stuff. It's also the age of artificiality, which would mean AI. Right. It's all this stuff at the same time. Simulacra. Exactly. So what I suggested was that on the show was that I think the, industri I think the industrial revolution, when that got kicked off, that was like the first machine explosion for me. Right. So um, when I look at that time bracket, what was that, the 1780s uh, or something, guys? What was it? Somewhere yeah, around in, there, around in there. All right, so if you do the math, it's about, seven, it's about 220 years, right, to the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So what I was thinking, I'm like, all right, in, in astrology, this is called an orb, which means it's the sphere of influence as you're transitioning between energies, energy fields and stuff like that. So on the on the uh, side coming into the age of Aquarius, it kind of for me really got kicked off in the Industrial Revolution, which is again about 220 years right. from the year 2000. So that mm -hmm. means to me is that maybe for it to be complete, you got to give it another 220 years on the other side, right. which puts right where you just said, Robbie. And yeah. I, I I was suggesting I think what I've been saying is 2180 for the completion, but it's mm -hmm. that's like the same essentially the same right thing. around the same time, right around yeah. So we're right, we're in the middle of the transition and, um, you know, you, you feel, even with astrology, you feel the orb, influence of the orb, which means, uh, you know, the sphere of influence around any point on the chart or in the sky, you feel it for quite a long period of time before it actually happens and after it happens. So you, the influence, the general influence is, you know, it's obvious we're transitioning into Aquarius. So, um, but in terms of dates, you know, they're all vitally important about when it actually happens. Um, I don't spend time with, with the software looking at every day of the year. You know, I just have so many other things. I'm trying to teach astrology properly. I have so much on my plate with that. But um, it is happening. It's definitely happening. The age of Pisces was the age of kind of, uh, you know, sensitivity, good feelings, like uh, trying to get yeah. along with everyone. And you know what happened? It's like a lot of people turned very cold and they started staying home, you know, even with the COVID and everything. Well, that's, that's an attribute of Aquarius. That's not the attribute of Pisces. Pisces right. is the person who's trying to get everyone to get along, trying to interact with everyone, you know, and a lot of people have become kind of reclusive as of late. Yeah. 
I know I have. <laughs> yeah, I think sure. uh, I think everybody's in that same boat, so to speak, to uh, to a level. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's... You know, there's just constant bullshit they're feeding us with. This is uh, yes. it's very bizarre. Mm. Yeah, I think I think this is the time. People have used um, different words for this time. One of one of my friends um, uh, said it's the time of the great harvest, mm. which means that you've had uh, a period of time to figure out who you are and where you stand. And um, there's going to be what I believe is going to be certain types of spirits that actually have qualified to move on to better dimensions because of how they've lived, you know, right. and how they've lived specifically in the face of adversity through the ages is that now you can, uh, you've proven to the universe that you're trustworthy and that even if you're given temptations, you don't take them. You don't, you want to do what the right thing is. And <clears throat> when I talk about cycles of time, that's actually how I define it. It's that you have a backdrop that's given to you as defined by um, which part of the cycle you're in, you know, what year you're in, what country you live in, who your parents are, all this stuff. That's your backdrop. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? And if right. it's particularly difficult and you're still standing firm in your beliefs, you get a gold star, man. And, you, and basically what I think the universe says is you've qualified now based on your action and your heart, you've qualified to move on to a better existence uh, on your next go around. So the harvest period, I think people are saying, you know what, this is not working for me anymore, so I'm just going to stop doing it. Um, you know, this church is not working for me. Okay, I'm going to stop going to this church. These people who used to be my friends, it's not working for me. Okay, we're not doing that anymore. You know, a lot, and I think everyone's going through that in their own way. They're right. just defining who they are, where they stand, and suddenly, like, anything that's not that way has become utterly unacceptable for them, and they just don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm. That's how spirits, I think, organize themselves. Mm. Now, when that happens within a person's mentality, um, it's a form of crystallization rather than a form oh. of expansive acceptance and, and you know... Uh, you know, it's yeah, it's interesting when we're talking about compression and expansion here as well. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I actually believe in giving spirits the free will to choose who they are and what they believe in. The right. challenging part for me, you know, I don't in terms of like what I'm interested in, I don't care if it's just you guys, you know, it's fine with me. It's not There's obviously, you know, a smaller, uh, small group of people that are interested in these high level topics. But the thing is, is that um, when you have to exist in the same system as people who were like, you know, here's a good in interest, like let's say, let's say the ivory tusk trade or something like that. Mm. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, I have to be in the same sphere as that person? This poor animal, beautiful animal, you know, the elephant, and it's minding its own business. It's happy. It's got its family. It, ha it has feelings just like humans have feelings. And you're just like, oh, you know, what kind of money can I get off of it? Right. And then they just kill them. They, yeah, they kill them, cut their tusks off, and just leave the body. Exactly. It's so, so what, what I want to see, when I, I think this is actually what is in fact happening right now, is there's, there's a splitting of uh, types of spirits. And all it is is that you inherit what you are. You know, So you're the, you're the one deciding to be that way. So if that's who you are, then, well, and if you've been solid on that for you know many right. lifetimes or whatever, okay, so now... Time is up, so now you're going to be, uh, one of the words that my co-host Karen uses is, is quarantine. You're going to be quarantined over here with the other types of people who think yeah. that's an acceptable action. 
in that waveform vibration. Exactly, Robbie. You know, right. and it's a it's a very it's a very clean dimensional shift. Most people wouldn't even be aware that it was happening. I would wager. Um, and then that way you can have um, the the people who are ready to be able to prog to progress through society and to actually make like big discoveries and big changes. I mean, Oak Island, it, it's just amazing. I, I really have to look at, the, at what's happening in the sky right now because, like I said, the past few days for me has been absolutely spectacular. I've gotten information I didn't even think was available to get, and uh, you know, it was given to me in the past few days specifically actually specifically about Oak Island. Hmm. And uh, every, there's a lot of people who have said through the years, you know, and even after, of course, it, uh, my, uh, my segment was not featured on the show. Um, Dave, why are you still doing this? It's like, guys, you, you really don't understand right. what I see. You don't understand what I see, what I feel. And having said that, what I felt when I was on the island, um, the levels of, um, spirituality them integrating as the story unfolds and everything you know that's that's one of those things guys it's like I, I just encourage people to um you know if it's not your cup of tea then stay in your own wheelhouse you know don't don't go trying to trying to mess with people we do we do things we do for a reason and we, we're going to get our, our reward or our punishment because of that um yeah. the only the only time that i interfere is if if someone's going to physically harm another human you know right. specifically specifically without reason then I will definitely interfere with that because that's not, that's a breaking cosmic law, man. I mean, that's, right. that's against cosmic law. But apart from that, if people don't have interest in, in watching the show, you know, or they, they're like, Dave, just hang up, hang up that topic. It's like, nope, not going to happen, man. And but actually what the, I think. Yeah. That's the thing. Most people don't see the intricate interrelationship of the web and how when one part, you know, vibrates, the whole web resonates. That's right, man. And you're getting, you know? um, you're getting feedback, and then you're also sending out feedback to other people. That's correct. Right. Yeah. So what I, what I wanted to say is that, um, and for people who do watch the show, uh, I'm, I'm going to start doing a lot more on the Oak Island topic on my YouTube channel because it just, um, my opinion, it just entered a new level of importance and uh in some of the information that i've i've found discovered lately uh thanks actually again to jake roberts uh, ghost of bacon podcast on youtube go over support him guys he's indispensable to this story i am so appreciative for him um i'm also very appreciative for everyone else who's come before us this has been since 1795 you know it's a huge treasure hunt the longest in history there's a reason why this is going on so what i'm what i want to say i'm going to put this out there now and I'm glad this is going to be on a recording, is that I actually believe, uh, and again, I said we're in the 10th season of the show right now, I actually believe that the Levina brothers just found the original Money Pit. And mm -hmm. it's what they, everyone's been looking for. You know, it, the last time people uh, claimed that they knew where it was, was I think in the early 1900s, maybe around the year 1900 or 1910 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then everyone after that has been trying to locate it again. You can't locate that, then you can't locate the rest of the story that unfolded based on where things were positioned in relation to the money pit. You know, there's the story of the flood tunnels and other shafts that searchers dug and all this stuff. So I fully believe they actually just found it. Um, it's called the garden shaft currently. The garden shaft uh, was discovered, I think, in 2018. Um, the didn't yeah, the garden shaft, right, which is also very symbolic in terms of the wording. Um, you know, a lot of people maybe aren't 
connecting that, uh, but I have for sure. Uh, the thing about it is that they kind of set it aside. They did some initial excavation near the top. They, they tested some of the uh, wood from the structure. I think it came back to this early 1700s, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So, which was before, you know, but carbon dating is not always reliable. That's the other part. But what I want to say about it is that, you know, again, it's all, um, it all goes back to the numbers. So something popped up on the, on the station. It was basically that uh, the, the garden shaft was found to be 77 and a half feet deep. Hmm. And I'm looking at, you know, you have to know about the model of the money pit too. It, there were, there were a minimum of, not, of nine platforms. They were each 10 feet apart. But I'm looking at 77, and, if, and first of all, the number 7 or 77 is very significant, you know, in the, in the esoteric realm for many, many reasons. Um, but when I'm seeing, um, they're like, oh, yeah, we measured it at 77 and a half. I'm saying, you know what? Are you sure it wasn't 77.7? Because I bet you it was. Right. I bet you it was because that's, you know, what happens when you get one of those weird numbers, you round it down and you round it up. Up, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and to my knowledge, no one has brought this up yet. So, this is absolutely brand new uh, breaking information hmm. and uh, just aired last week, this particular episode. So, I'm following it exceptionally closely. Um, I've looked at uh, Jake Roberts' work uh, again from Ghost to Bacon and it actually directly not even uh, a, a tiny bit off reinforces everything that I independently discovered in a completely different fashion. Right. Now what he did, see, he found that this gets more and more interesting guys. He found it's amazing because we're going back to a lot of this stuff is actually going back to um, England. So I'm really honored to be able to talk about it with uh, people who might be hearing this for the first time in, in England and the UK. No, yes. So the thing about it is that the way Jake came about this was actually through the 1612, through 16 or 11, and I apologize, 1611 or 1612 King James Bible. Um, there are lots of pictures included with this, there's diagrams, and it turns out that it's all in cipher. And again, I'm not a cipher guy, but I'm, especially at this point, at this point, I am deeply appreciative for the work that, um, that good cipherists do because I'm, I'm really, I actually believe it now. I believe it, it is completely in cipher. And a lot of things have been in cipher. So he found he found the lines of latitude and longitude in cipher in the King James Bible for Oak Island. And to me it is it's very obvious actually. It's not Oak Island. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, of Oak Dude, Island. It's crazy. And then you think. Yep, so yeah. it's in there. And, um, you know, he had to draw lines on the page and, um, you know, find points of latitude, longitude and everything. And it even has the uh, seconds, you know, in terms of this degrees, minutes and seconds. It's got the seconds on there, too. And the point that he came up and I looked at all of his work, guys. I mean, I, I'm a scientist. So I cross checked. I watched it at least two times. I'm like, are, am, am I sure that I think he's right on the mark with this? And it, it's, it's totally correct. This is not the only way. This is not the only piece of evidence that is suggesting this. So he was able to put, um, he put a thumbtack on Google earth and it's right over the garden shaft. Boom. Um, the most amazing part about this is that he, he did this work. This is unbelievable guys. He did this work before the current season actually premiered. 
but he was like many months before anyone even knew that they were going to be excavating the garden shaft this season. But he was already, I think, I think in the ether, he was already pulling from this. That this was, this is what we need to focus on. Right. So, um, yeah, it's all, uh, you know, the first, first time I've said this uh, publicly, I, it's, it is related to bacon. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I've never felt comfortable saying that before. I fully believe that now. Mm-hmm. Oak Island is directly related to Francis Bacon. Bacon, um, yeah. bacon, was, bacon was, he was related to many of the secret societies, you know, Freemasons and Rosicrucians. He wrote a lot of the early Rosicrucian literature as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, this is all really coming together, guys. And there's a lot of other stuff that I'm not going to reveal publicly at this time. Um, that is in supporting evidence. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll put it this way: the um, the Knights, well, the Knights Templar. We know um, if you watch a show, they're they're featured heavily, heavily in the theory of of Oak Island. Um, I would also absolutely agree that they're they're involved. Uh, they were fully involved with this. Um, I don't know if it happened in stages. I'm not really, you know, well, I think we'll find out as the discoveries are made, but. This is related to um, all the secret societies. It's related to Jerusalem. It's related to Solomon's Temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's related to Francis Bacon. It's a, it's a very long lineage of, I think, information. And uh, Jake has said that he actually believes uh, Francis Bacon is, at, in, in fact, interred on the island oh. um, in a crypt, you know, very mm-hmm. far beneath the surface. In addition, mm-hmm. this is kind. Of, this is this part's coming from Jake, and I actually, I actually do agree with him at this point, after what I saw with his presentation. And so, um, what it was is that he said, um, he said that in addition to Francis Bacon being buried there, there's also Francis's birth records, um, and uh, a fair amount of gold and silver, and mm-hmm. other uh, religious artifacts. Uh, I, I believe also the full first folio manuscript of Shakespeare is included with this. Hmm. So it's going to be um, a massive earth shaking discovery. And I am, uh, I, I used to be, I, I've been told this often in my, la- uh, in my life, Dave, just be patient. You know, I, I just want to see things happen now, you know, but it's not, right. a, it's not on my time scale. So uh, since, uh, since this past week, again, it's just been this past week that I saw this uh, episode that Jake did. Um, I am very solid in what I believe I'm actually, I was smiling all day yesterday. And, uh, now what I can do is I can just sit back and watch what they discovered the season, just watch it unfold. And, and, uh, you know, I'm going to, con- I'm going to continue doing episodes talking about what they're discovering as the weeks go on here. Um, if Dave. I, if I'm, what's that? Dave, sorry to interrupt. Uh, have you, yeah. um, have you listened to my episodes on Questus? Um, this is is this this is Sean Williamson's book, is it not? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, um, okay. I think you'll find it particularly interesting, um, especially Knights Templars, um, Sean's work, and Team Templars North America. Um, extraordinary. Okay, I'm going to check that out tonight. Um, appreciate. I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I also want to mention, I think I mentioned, I mentioned it to you, General, that um, uh, I'm friends with Wayne Murphy. Yes, um, we've Wayne. Been talking, yeah, we've been talking for about a year, year and a half now. 
And um, I actually had Wayne on my show, uh, Aliens and Astrology, with Karen Holton. That's also on my YouTube page. Brilliant. Uh, I'll check out, mate, definitely. Yeah, so I'm, I'm following that story very closely. And, uh, you know, the idea is, is that, that Wayne Murphy found a, um, he's a Mohican tribal elder uh, in Wisconsin, USA. He's found a, uh, what he believes to be a Templar site on the, um, the native land there. And so they're developing, I think they got a, a miniseries um, coming out, right, generally, about the site? Um, yes, I think you, you'll, um, I've got one more episode to release on the quest. I think it's part four or part five. Um, I'll okay. explain a little bit more. I don't want um, to piss on anybody's chips, so to speak. Yeah, but um, very interesting. Uh, anything. Uh, it's Templar related is um, it's extraordinary. It is yeah, well, um, incredible. What I feel, guys, is that we're coming up on um, the big revelations that we've all been waiting for for a long, long time. Uh, it, it's right. It's ripe for the picking. I mean, it's ready. We've got a lot of people who are able to do it and know uh, how to proceed. I think properly. And so I'm just really, I'm really um, encouraged to see people like Wayne and Sean really upstanding guys you know to be in charge of, of such big discoveries um yeah. you know even the, the even the lagina brothers really nice and with oak island really nice guys uh, you know of course i've met both of them i've talked with rick quite a bit actually and um it just feels good to have it be in, in good hands you know for once it's there's pe- oh. there are people there are people that you like you know as opposed to like some kind of a society or something yeah these these are not the alternative agenda they are genuine um respectable fascinating individuals that we are more very lucky to have them in this community yeah absolutely man yeah um uh, there's also uh there's a lot of great people out of the uk i would love to come see you guys um it would just be like christmas morning for me to be standing in <laughs> Aveberry and stonehenge and all these places you know so Right. Uh, maybe one of these days uh, soon, you know, get out there, feel the energy, see what's going on. For sure, mate. <laughs> it will be mint, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as fascinated I am with this conversation, um, I mean, are we good to wrap it up now, do you think? Or I always part to it. Oh yeah, whatever, whatever you guys want to do, or if you want to, I can go a little more if you want. You can split it into two parts. It's totally up to you guys. I don't know how much time you got. Oh well. Um, yeah, I've got a couple things I've got to get done around here. So. Don't wait. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I thought forever. Well, and and I think what this really comes down to is when you start really digging and delving into all these topics that. Um, it's really like, I, you know, I've said it numerous times. It's one system when you really get into it all and you really start to see how it all just laces together. And, um, you know, so part one, part two, um, you know, it's it's all just a part. <laughs> yes, it, it is as one, mate. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. But, um, yeah. Dave, uh, mate. Incredible, incredible. It's tough, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I love it. I've got the dash marks here, Robbie. You know. <laughs> yeah, I really but, appreciate you guys. Yeah. Oh, it's been a, a true honour, Dave. Um, but uh, before you go, would you like to let everybody know where they can get hold you, please, mate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you guys want to uh, see my work and and or contact me, hopefully both. Um, if you have interest. Uh, I would say Facebook is probably number one. That's where I spend the most time. So, uh, you know, on Facebook, I'm under Dave Petrella. That's P-E-T-R-E-L-L-A. It's going to be very easy to find me. You know, you'll see all the esoteric uh, related topics and content. And um, the other one would be Instagram, which uh, I'm under Dave Petrella 12. Again, P-E-T-R-E-L-L-A 12. And uh, then, of course, I have my YouTube channel which uh, also has my email on it in the about section if you'd like to send me an email. And I've got uh, lots of content on there. I've got shows uh, that go back to 2021. I just kind of got started with podcasting in 2021. So, you know, I'm still uh, still kind of at the beginning, but it's amazing how quickly it's developed. So I've got lots of interviews with different people on there. I post everything that I possibly can um, in terms of audio and video I do for shows and everything on my YouTube page. So that will always be the best place to go for the, that kind of content. Um, and I have, uh, I have a show that I do uh, twice a month with my co-host and friend, Karen Halton. Karen uh, actually is based out of Alberta, Canada. So again, you know, it's just so, it's so brilliant to just draw everyone together. I feel very blessed and honored to, to be able to do that. So Karen lives in Canada, um, and we've been doing a show called Aliens and Astrology. It's on uh, her YouTube channel. Um, it's it's on a lot of different platforms. I know it's on Spreaker and I think Spotify and all these. It's listed at the top if you go to, the, to uh, pull up some of the YouTube videos. But me and Karen have been doing that for um, uh, about six months, and we're about to start our second season in January. And uh, what we do is uh, we talk about really anything esoteric, and uh, Karen has a lot of experience with um, <clears throat> with extraterrestrial, uh, let's say, encounters and uh, being able to uh, interact with them in positive ways. She's uh, she spent time on on ET ships um, through what I would call uh, altered state of consciousness during during the nighttime when you know we mostly people would call it sleeping, but it was very different in her experience. So she's she's very uh, she's to me she's like a um, ET ambassador. She's the perfect person to do that. Uh, she's very welcoming of all types of people, and um, she she's really tuned in, guys. Karen's awesome. So she has that part of it. Uh, she does a lot with holistic wellness too and healing. So um, I definitely say check that out. She's got a YouTube channel too, her own no, no, um, channel. Right. So we've up. got. Yeah, So we've got that. So uh, the first show of every month, we do we pick a topic. Um, it's really any topic at all and whatever we want to talk about. I just did one on astrology in the body yesterday, which I'm going to be posting today, later today. And, um, the second show of the month that we do is, uh, we actually have a guest on and, um, we've been having, you know, just some great guests. So we, of course we had Wayne Murphy, uh, for our first guest. Second guest was my friend, uh, Aurora Seraphine. She's a, she's a natural healer. She's also very, very tuned in. I met her at a, a conference in nashville uh, for actually william henry the star of the ancient alien show me and william had a chance to sit down for a couple hours and talk uh while i was there so that was absolutely excellent so she we had her on last month and then this month guys is actually my friend um alessandra nadudvari and she is one of the oak island uh community the members of the community there so she was on uh season four episode one actually 
And again, we're at episode 10. So this was about six years ago. Um, she has a site uh, at New Ross, Nova Scotia. She believes it's a, it's a Templar site, the site of a former Templar castle. It's a very interesting topic in itself. So she's going to be on our show um, in a couple weeks, actually. And we'll be talking about Oak Island. Uh, I'll probably try to, to draw in New Ross a little bit, too, because it's a very good topic. A totally Templar-related. All, all of it's really Templar-related, to be honest. So anyway, that's the show. Uh, I co-host that with Karen. And then uh, actually, you know, I'm so happy and honored that Robbie was the first guest for my podcast that I just started. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 thanks, Robbie. I heard Robbie on um, your show, General. And I, again, I, you know, I've said this many times. I was actually very impressed. And I said, I want to talk to Robbie. I want to meet Robbie, uh, you know, get connected start the conversation so i just i had a thought i'm like well you know i want to talk to robbie now so i know how to record uh you know a video on my phone so i just we got we got in the skype and we got that recorded i got it uploaded i got some of robbie's artwork on there so people can support him uh, it's really great art so uh, i started my own podcast series and i'm going to be basically just having people on you know whenever topics come up and uh, people who I, who I like and respect and people i want to talk to and I also, I want it to be a model for people. So you can see that, you know, anyone who's a decent human being, I'm happy to invite them in and tell me your story, you know, share your life story with me, share what you believe. And even if it's not the same, even if it's not remotely similar, but they're a decent person and they're respectful of other people's stances, then I fully embrace, I fully embrace that person. I want it to be yeah. a platform where people feel comfortable and welcome, you know, so I've got really? that podcast. Yeah, I've got that podcast plus the Aliens and Astrology. I've got it organized on um, my playlists there, so feel free to browse through that. And um, any of these ways, you know, contact me through email on my YouTube about section or uh, Instagram. Again, Dave Patrell Twelve or Facebook, which is just my name. It's it's easy to find. You guys won't have a problem. Yeah, nice one, mate. And uh, yourself, Robert. Um, I'm on Instagram. If you just Google R Marks M A R X artist, um, I'm I'm out there everywhere. And then also, I want to promote the uh, Meta Mindcast, um, M E T T A Mindcast. And uh, basically, I'm just going to be releasing interviews. And after this uh, one that just came out on the Nimrod series, um, I'm going to start dropping the recordings I did. So I got one of those coming up, I think, here on this next Tuesday. So, but yeah, I'm out there and uh, I'm easy to get a hold of. So, yeah. Hey, uh, let, me, let me add one more thing, guys. I'm sorry. Um, if people don't know some of the other things I do, of course, I am an astrologer. And so uh, I do birth charts, I do relationship matching, business applications for any, basically anything Western astrology. If you guys want to get into that, I'm happy to do that for you. Um, I also do spiritual guidance and I teach uh, principles of pre Ayurvedic medicine, which is uh, fasting circulating your oils you know natural health tips so i do offer services if you guys are interested in that uh definitely send me a message yeah okay. no problem mate nice one um well gentlemen um it has been a true honor um, <laughs> um and i tell you what i cannot wait till we um speak again soon soon please <laughs> yeah that was fun yeah yeah nice absolutely Man, this is this is like the dream team, guys. You know, this is uh, you, we can actually make significant progress in understanding with a conversation like this. So I, I, I give a lot of time to, to this. So anytime you guys want to do it, you just send me a message for sure. I'll, I'll hop on with you. Thank you.
Thank you. Uh, right, gentlemen, um, I'm going to stop recording now. <laughs>